This episode is going to address sensitive topics, including harassment, abuse, and sexual assault. We caution anyone for whom these topics may be triggering, traumatic, or difficult to hear. Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah Seke. And today we're going to discuss a difficult but important topic. We dance for a number of reasons, including the sheer joy of creative expression and the amazing feeling we get from connecting with another person in that expression. West Coast Swing is often a beautiful, wonderful, positive experience shared by two people moving together to a common song. Unfortunately, in an art form, hobby, and sport that involves two people connecting physically and sometimes emotionally, people can be made to feel uncomfortable, unsafe, or even violated. There are times when people cross personal boundaries on the dance floor, and there are times when people are harassed, abused, and even assaulted by other dancers in our community. This problem is real, and it happens more often than most of us know. It is terrible, tragic, unnecessary, and it must be dealt with. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the harassment, abuse, and sexually violent behavior that occurs in our community, what it is, how it happens, how it affects us, how we would deal with it, and how we can create a safer, more positive culture for everyone. Because of the nature of this episode, we wanted to first get a better understanding of the subject from someone with expertise in this area. We sat down with Lizzie Camp Jansen, a licensed independent clinical social worker with experience in women's reproductive health, as well as abuse, trauma, and mental health. Based in Minnesota, she works with Planned Parenthood of Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, though the views expressed here are her own and not representative of Planned Parenthood. We asked Lizzie to give us some background and terminology. I think that when you think back over the past year and everything that's happened um, and all of the things that have come to light with the Me Too movement, and I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are starting to feel really almost kind of burnt out on the movement. And I think that that's hard because I think what that really just shows is that people are overwhelmed with how often this is happening. You know, when people are like, oh, I'm so tired of talking about Me Too, it's because it makes them feel bad and sad and look at society in a different way when we maybe wanted to believe that this wasn't happening as frequently as it is. Right. You know, to get back to definitions, you know, when we're talking about sexual harassment, you know, I think it really, that term, especially kind of in the legal context, came about a lot um, in the 70s and 80s. And a lot of it was in response to things happening in workplaces. So the really traditional definition of sexual harassment is limited to to words, advances, things that are meant to make someone feel uncomfortable, particularly sexually in a workplace or school type setting. Now, we we now have a much better understanding that this is something that crosses all kinds of different lines and happens in, in many different um, arenas. In fact, um, you know, statistics are a little hard to come by, especially when you're talking about stuff that people don't like to talk about very much. Um, but the best estimates are that about 80% of female identified people are going to be harassed at some point in their life sexually, um, and about 40% of male identified people. So it's still certainly not something that is only male on female perpetrated. When they're looking to it where sexual harassment is happening, um, almost 40% of women identify that it's something that happens um, out on the streets and in public places. Um, followed just behind by school or workplaces or other comfortable places, social gatherings, um, places with friends, um, family, acquaintances. So unfortunately happening across a broad um, range of places with a broad range of people and happening to a broad range of individuals, which I think is why 
people feel so overwhelmed sometimes by the breath. Mm-hmm. What really, you know, we tend to distinguish sexual harassment from sexual abuse or sexual assault um, is that that most of the time they focus more on sexual harassment being words, being um, things that people say, things that are meant to cause discomfort in another person. Um, whereas sexual assault is usually when we're talking more about moving into the realm of physical touching, um, whether that be overclothes, underclothes in a way that's just unwanted, or when it moves more into the realm of saying that it is rape. A sexual assault is kind of an umbrella term under which rape um, would fall. So again, it's something that's happening all over the place. Um, when you talk about your community in particular, and when we talk about why does sexual assault happen, I think it's really interesting when you kind of highlight the fact that dance, you know, and, and I'm not definitely not an expert on dance, but when you're talking about some of the, the basis of it and some of the history of dance and some of the pieces that are um, really based in traditional gender roles, I could see how that might bring about some more of this behavior. Like you said, when, when things tend to be really male led and that's, that's part of what dance is, but I could also see how, you know, when you're doing something that also involves a lot of what could be perceived as intimate contact between people, that lines get really blurry. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of reasons why sexual harassment happens. Um, I think it'd be really hard to boil it down to like, this is what it is and this is why it happens. Right. This is what we do. Right. My, my personal belief is that a lot of it comes down to power and control. I think that when we look at why people do some of the things that they do, um, and that's across many different you know, ranges of, of quote unquote bad behavior, I think a lot of it comes down to power and I think a lot of it still comes down to when so much of this harassment is perpetrated by men against women or men identified people with women identified people um, that it's about power and control it's about putting people in their place it's about knowing the hierarchy of, of who's on top and who is subservient and you know people people have always for as long as the earth has been around clamored for power and who's powerful and who's not and I think that when your actions or your words or the things that you do make another person fearful or make them scared or make them feel uneasy or particularly make them feel uncomfortable in a place and a space where they normally feel at home and comfortable. That's all about power to me. Mm -hmm. Would you say though, that this person that you just explained, the men that you were explaining are a specific personality type? Because we have, we're in the swing dance community with how many men, and it's like one or two guys that are kind of like lurking around the swing community. Yes, you know what? No. I mean, I think that sometimes we have to get away from the idea that only bad people do bad things. Um, I don't think that's what I mean. No, no, but what I'm saying is I think sometimes, like when we talk about sexual assault, like, you know, people say, well, he's such a good person or, you know, he, you know, but he's a college student, all these things like that. Like people can be good people and still make really bad choices. I think when you're talking about people who, like you said, when there's one or two people who are just not respecting boundaries and continually doing things over and over again, I think sometimes a lot of that is behavior of when, when people have been in places where, where they have been able to do that or where they've been enabled or where they've been allowed to do it. And I'm not saying that it's anybody's fault that like there's anything people are doing that isn't holding people in account. Um, but I think that that behavior grows. And I think that people who push boundaries will continue to push boundaries even beyond when boundaries are set up. 
because that's part of what they're doing is they're testing the limits of what are these boundaries that people have set up and how could I test them or push them further. You just explained a very calculating person, wouldn't you say? I think that <laughs> I mean, conscious as we want to believe it is, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think that someone goes home at night and plots and plans all of this. Um, I think that it's that it's motivated behavior, but I wouldn't say that it's something that someone is, like I said, plotting and planning. But I do think that the longer somebody does things and and like I said, are able to get away with them or like I said, push, push, push those boundaries. Um, they're, they're really, they get, get to be really good at figuring out where boundaries are and then mm-hmm. even wandering right up to the line and tiptoeing along it for as long as they can. Um, but you're right. I mean, it sounds really pathological when you talk about it in that way. I mean, to me, it sounds like a manipulator. These are uh, this is a, a specific personality type. Yeah, I and manipulation is about control too, right? Because if you can manipulate people, if you can control a situation, like I said, there are people for whom, and, and you know, might, some of it might be being um, insecure with themselves. Some of it might be right. insecure with their place in the world. But if I can manipulate and control other people or make them feel uncomfortable, again, I'm putting myself on top. Right. Well, Deborah, you and I talked about how uh, sometimes with the, the the less severe offenses, it's a uh, misinterpretation of a situation, particularly right. when you're on the dance floor, right? Um, because mm-hmm. this dance can be sexual, this dance can be intimate. And right. some people may dance with one person and it's acceptable, right? Because they know them or or that's just their dynamic and they're comfortable with it. And then you go and dance with somebody else. And what was comfortable there is no longer comfortable, right? Um, And I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Lizzie, on, you know, how do people kind of preempt or prevent these kind of situations? Like, how are people to know where the line is, how to draw it, how to make it clear to another person? Yeah. I mean, I think the hard thing when you talk about that is so much of it feels like it gets put back on the person who is uncomfortable or who would be being harassed mm-hmm. to set up their own boundaries. And I think that that's why it's so hard sometimes because, you know, it's much like some of the traditional notions around sexual assault where it's like, go places in twos or make sure to say no. And it's like, well, that's putting the burden back on the person who is, who is in the more vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. I think you almost have to set up, you know, a, a culture where, um, where you have a lot of conversations first. So what is okay? What are my boundaries? You know, if you're going to talk to someone about um, consent, they they probably have great language too. I know in a lot of my work, we talk about, about consent as being freely given and informed and that you consent to exactly what you want to do and that it's very specific. Mm-hmm. But again, I could recognize that in spaces where, like you said, where you have different dance partners, where there are different things that you do, and where there's not always probably time where you could sit down and have a conversation like, okay, we're going to do this dance. What is okay with me? What is okay with you? What is this going to be like? Right. That's really hard to set up, and that's a hard thing to really, you know, enact. Well, and that completely changes, like, what happens when we dance, you know? Then, you know, no one actually gets to dance because we're having all these conversations about right. You, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to go overboard, right? Here's my confusion. Maybe you can explain, Lizzie, because you've been in this a long time. What happened to the word no that used to be enough? Like, no means no. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I, I think it's a culture shift and a mind shift because I think, uh, you know, particularly when we talk about sexual assault, we were relying on 
again, that's putting things back to to the victim or the person who is being perpetrated Mm -hmm. to necessarily be the one that's having to be forthright and saying, no, I don't want this. What we know about trauma, and again, this is a lot of newer research, especially around sexual assault, that there are multiple responses. And when people are traumatized, it is not always possible. Their brain is not always functioning in a place where they can you know, forthright and say, no, I don't want this. One of the most common reactions to sexual assault is to freeze, uh, much like anybody, any other animal who's in danger. And so I think that's why it really shifted that instead of relying on a victim or someone who's being perpetrated against or someone who's uncomfortable to have to be the one to say, no, I don't like this. No, I don't want this, especially in places where that might not be a safe or an accessible thing for them to do, that we try to shift that burden to the person who is doing things, who is reaching out, who is making more of the advances to be asking along the way, are you wanting this? Is this okay? And switching more to a yes is yes. Mm-hmm. I think there are lots of inherent challenges in that. And I think that's really hard to act out in a lot of spaces, right. but that's why the shift has happened. Right. So you talked about how kind of at the more ex- extreme, severe, you know, assault um, that people can freeze up or be traumatized by it. Um mm-hmm. I'm wondering what are some of the other effects or reactions that happen, um, even just to harassment? Like, what are some of the reasons why people might not feel comfortable speaking up um, when they're either being harassed or or assaulted um, or even just abused by other people? Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of there are a lot of really common reactions. And one thing I tell, you know, people and patients really often is that there's no normal and there's no wrong reaction to have. People react Mm -hmm. in a variety of ways. And a lot of that is based on their own mental health, their own trauma history, their own background and things like that. What might traumatize one person, someone else who experiences the exact same thing might not be traumatized. Really common reactions though, um, grief, um, shame, um, anger is pretty common. Um, Feeling guilty, you know, people who spend a lot of time replaying this over and over and over in their head and looking for every single detail of what did I do? What did someone else do? What could I have done better? So there's a lot of um, second guessing there. And part of that goes back to our kind of belief in general that if we do everything right, we'll have good outcomes. And if a bad outcome happened, it's because we necessarily did something wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Depression, um, anxiety, again, particularly when you think about something that happens within a safe space, you know, I joined this community, I, I love doing this thing. And, and now something has happened in this space, or when I've been with these people that has made me feel really unsafe, and there would be a lot of anxiety going back into those mm. spaces. Right. Um, I think that while it's hard for anybody and everybody to report, you know, much like I said, because of that guilt, that grief, that shame, what did I do? you know, that inherent something in me must have failed or something must have been faulty. Um, And I think it's hard to speak up about. And I think it's particularly hard when you do have, um, you know, people who are male identified. Um, I think it's even a lot harder for them as well, you know, to talk about harassment or things that they might not have wanted to have happened because, well, you're a guy, you should have wanted that. Like any guy would like that sort of contact. And then particularly when we talk about our trans and non-binary folks too, like how hard it is for them to speak up. Yeah. So how do we shift? How do we shift one so that the burden is not always on those being harassed? Um, How do we shift individual behavior and how do we shift our norms around this? Yeah. 
I mean, I think that you have to create a community where it's safe to talk about and where if people do bring it up, that they're respected and that they're heard and that they're validated. Half of what, no, more than half of what I do with people who have been, um, or someone who has perpetrated on them or who have been victims is just validate them. Like what happened to you is not okay. That should not happen to anybody. And I'm really sorry that this happened to you. I probably say that half a dozen times a day. Mm -hmm. Um, just that validation of like, this is not your fault. Like you didn't do anything wrong and, and just validating like, yeah, this is scary and this is hard and this feels really bad. I think that when you see bad behavior, it's important for people, particularly people who are empowered to call it out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause every time I hear on the news or I see something of something super atrocious that someone did, my first thought is there's zero chance. That's the first time they've ever done something. You know, people are incrementalists. They're not going to start out usually, you know, sexually assaulting somebody they're going to start out with other patterns of behavior and i think that the sooner you can recognize that and really create boundaries around it um the better but like i said i think that takes people in power stepping in um and i think that that means creating a a low or no tolerance and i think like you said there are times where people just don't read cues all that well Mm -hmm. and there are times where um you know like you said those lines not may not be clear but there's a huge difference then between empowering people to say, I don't like what just happened or I wasn't really comfortable with that. And then someone being able to say, whoa, whoa, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. And, and backing really off from the, that wasn't my intention. Um, because we have to recognize that that people's intentions can be good and their actions can still be harmful. You mm-hmm. know, that um, you have to honor the, the impact, not the intention. And so really recognizing when are those people who, when, when we say something that they're like, whoa, 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 okay, how can I change and be better versus people who maybe get more defensive or who maybe say, well, that's not what I meant. They interpreted that wrong. Mm-hmm. How do we start shifting or preparing the people who may offend or harm? How do we educate them? How do we get them to be more mindful or aware of what they're doing or to recognize those boundaries? Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to talk about it. I mean, I think that, like you said, we just don't talk about this enough. I think that's part of why people are feeling burned out is because they're like, oh my gosh, now this is all we're talking about. And it's like, well, maybe we could have been all along. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that you bring that directly to people. like, and, and, and I think that's hard to do when you need specifics and it's hard to intervene when it's like, well, we heard that you did this to somebody. Right. That's um, a, That happens a lot mm-hmm. in the community. Yeah. That's why it's so hard to to fix. Yeah, absolutely. And right, you both recognize why the person to whom it happened wouldn't necessarily be the person who feels like they can always go and talk about that. But it's also hard to have third parties. But who can you identify who can help be the people that that talk about that say like, here, this is concerning, or this is what I saw, or this is kind of outside of our norms. And we want this to be a safe place. And how can we make sure that that you can participate in this and, and it be a safe place? Mm-hmm. And then I think you have to set up guidelines. And if there are people who continually push them, there have to be repercussions. Again, I think that's part of the reason why people do things because they think they can get away with them. And if they're right, then you're never going to curb their behavior. Yeah. You know, if, if actions have no consequences, there's no reason to not do them. Yeah. You get benefit from it. Right. So something I'm mindful of because I'm, I'm a, I'm a male. I'm a leader of a community. Um, I'm I'm a a teacher and professional, um, but I, it's hard for me to take action and, and make sure that norms are enforced if I don't know about things. Right. So I do my best to let people know that one, we have a code of conduct 
right? That, that there are certain norms and guidelines. Um, two, that I'm always there to listen and to, to, to validate people and to, um, address whatever happens. Is there anything really that I can or should be doing to make sure that people feel safe speaking up? And if not to me, then to somebody else, like, what can I do to, to help create that, that safe environment? I think you can say it like that too. Like also own the fact I recognize that I might not be the easiest person to, you know, to talk to about Mm -hmm. it. And I think validating this is really hard to talk about in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think whenever I work with people who have been um, victims, one of the things I really emphasize is that it is totally normal for people who um, have been assaulted or who have been harassed to not want to talk about it, especially at first. Number one, their mind's still reeling. They're still really processing I think you can normalize that a lot. And the first thing I always emphasize to people too is that, you know, when something like this happens to you and you've lost total control over a situation and even control over your own body, which is something we always want to believe, like if there's anything in this world I can control, it's my own mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we go back to the fact that sometimes all they can control is who owns that information and who they tell. And, mm-hmm. and if I tell someone, I don't totally own that information anymore. Mm. But sometimes part of that is regaining control. Like I, I work with lots of sexual assault um, victims who don't want to tell people because I'm trying to have the tiniest bit of control. And mm-hmm. all I can control right now is who I tell. Mm-hmm. So I think just continuing to validate that. And like I said, I think the more that you talk about it, the easier it will be for people to talk about it. You know, Lizzie, I, I make sure in the dance community and, and lots of people can attest to this, that I make sure that I'm available for no matter what. Do you need to talk about something, whatever it is? I make I make them know that I'm a safe place to talk to and to and and sometimes I think they'll come to me or they have come to me and they've said some things and I will say to them, Well, have you spoke have you told anyone else? Mm-hmm. And they're like, No. And I'm like, well, we can't fix it if you don't tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's true. And I think you can still have that conversation while also saying, I understand why you wouldn't want to. Like, I understand why this is scary. I understand why this feels like a lot to talk about, but why you worry that this wouldn't be well received. I think when you validate all those other feelings, I think that, that, that you can say, like, we want to talk about this more and it is hard for us to do stuff. This out isn't out in the open. So you let me know when you're ready and, and okay. people back some of that power and control. Okay. Cause I think people who are victims, do that. you know, and so, Finding ways that you can give people power and control over a situation that they feel completely helpless in mm-hmm. is really huge. And validate okay. everybody to love to be validated. Yeah, we all need that. We all want to be acknowledged. <laughs> of course, I, I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you're doing a great thing by by starting that conversation early. You know, it's hard to have that conversation once something already happened. Like, I'm a safe place. If you start that from the beginning on mm. and that relationship from the bottom, that's going to be mm. the best thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about. I've been I can tell. a social worker for um, almost 10 years now. And most yeah. of my work has been in um, women and um, young adolescent health. So, yeah, you're great. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciated talking to you. And like I said, I'm really glad that you're doing this. I don't know a lot about the dance community, but like I said, this is a conversation that's being had all over and yeah. it's worthwhile to, to do. So happy to help. Yeah. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you so yeah. much for taking the time. Absolutely. Let me know if you need anything else, Eric. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks so much. Bye. Have a good day. To discuss these issues as they occur in our community, we asked a friend of ours 
and a strong advocate on this issue to join us. She's an all-star level competitor and teacher who lives here in the Bay Area, a very warm and authentic soul, and someone who has been active in both our community as well as other dance communities around the world and the Bay Area community at large in understanding and fostering a culture of consent. We're so grateful to have with us Chantala Davis. Yay. I will also say I am thrilled to have somebody in the same room with me while recording this podcast. Oh, yay. <laughs> yeah, lucky you. This is the first time to have somebody in the same room. It's very exciting. I'm not, I'm not in the same room. One day, Deborah. One day we're going to be in the one same room. One day it'll happen. <laughs> it's so it'll interesting happen. to be here, like on the other side, because I've heard these podcasts and they're amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, I wonder how they do the whole setup. It's a long time listener. Well, now you're First time caller. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and listeners should know that uh, we have tea, we have chocolate, we have wine, we have tissues. We, we are prepared. We are ready for this conversation. Yes. I'm already one glass of wine in. Yeah. One glass of wine in. We're still drinking. Yes. And we invite you to have whatever you need to soothe your nerves as we dive into this very yes. edgy topic. Yes. Yes. For sure. But important. Yeah, um, super important. So I guess, you know, one of the first questions, um, you know, we asked you to come on this show and Deborah and I both first thought of you because we know you're active in this area. Mm. Um, but I'm wondering how, how did you get active in this area? Yeah, that's, I was thinking about that on the way over here. Actually, <laughs> I was just like, when did this all occur? And, um, it actually happened, um, a few years ago. Um, like in terms of the West coast swing community, um, a few years ago, I was at an event and a situation happened, uh, at the end of the weekend of an event where, um, uh, a woman, she felt, uh, traumatized and she didn't know what happened. And so I just kind of stepped in to try and offer support. And, um, I want to, uh, I want to be mindful of, of her experience. So I don't want to give away too many details, but, um, she felt safe enough to come to me to share with her what happened. And, um, and when she did, I felt helpless. I actually posted a live video at the time. Um, and I was super emotional during the live video because, um, she shared with me the situation and I was really frustrated that we didn't have anything in our community, in our system, anything of any resources of how to navigate something like this. And I really wanted to help her. Um, and I, and so that's when I started to, uh, be more vocal of like, what is already out there? What, what are the systems that have been put in place? Um, what are other dance communities doing? How they've been, you know, navigating the situation, um, I've been at, and then I started to, you know, I have friends in, uh, communities here in the Bay who do mediation and restorative justice and consent work and all this stuff. And so I just, you know, did as much as I could to start figuring that out. And then, you know, a lot of human error, but as I went along, I started to try and apply and see what, what works and what didn't. And, you know, I learned a lot of lessons during that journey, but, um, but yeah, it's been something I've been super passionate about. I started creating my own dance curriculum of how to navigate boundaries and desires and how to communicate that somatically on the dance floor, as well as using that to learn how to communicate that in relationship with your words. Mm. And, um, 
And as I dive into it, it's, it's a deep well. <laughs> and there's a lot, it's there's a lot. a lot to it. And I had no idea what, what I was getting into, but now that I'm into it, um, you know, and, and it even affects me personally, um, as I, you know, would travel and experience how different communities and different, uh, cities and, you know, the different styles of dance, how everybody navigates and what they're, what people are conscious of, what, how much education they have around it. And I was like, yeah, this, this needs to be something that we need to bring to the table and have more conversations around and educate ourselves on because it's happening way too much. Mm -hmm. And it's been happening for a while. Are, are, are we just talking about this, like trying to do this in West Coast Swing? Are there other dance communities where they have stuff, things in place to help this alleviate the situations that go on in dance communities or, or, or we're we just starting to navigate this now throughout all dance communities by opening up the conversation now. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are kind of in the same place that we're just kind of at the beginning of, of finding our way, you know, we're carving mm -hmm. that path. Nobody's already set the path and we follow it along. Um, I know a lot came up in the Lindy hop community in the past, mm -hmm. uh, five years. Yes. Um, uh, I think it's safe to talk about, uh, I don't know. Do we want to say names that, that's uh, out in public? I, it's no, public. it's no. public. It, it's when, public, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is public. And you can say a name. Then, yes. we can just so, say two um, professionals. Yeah. So the first mm -hmm. one that came out that was really shocking was, uh, Stephen Mitchell. And, mm -hmm. um, when I learned about that, that was around the time when I was a minor at the time. And I was dancing at the same venues. I was my, I, those of you who don't know, I did Lindy hop all throughout my teenage and young uh, adult life. And when I learned about, and I remember seeing Stephen Mitchell at these venues and, um, and when I learned about during the time he was taking minors under his wing and then abusing his power. And I, um, and I read that I'm like, that could have been me. That easily could have been me. And that like gave me shivers. And it was really crazy to learn how, um, I don't know, over 10 years later, we were just starting to learn the depths of that and how, uh, you know, the, that community didn't have the, the resources to, to be able to spot it, to be able to, uh, you know, call him, call him out or call him in or whatever. You know, it, and, and then it just created a huge uproar and that began that whole, uh, <laughs> that snowball of like, okay, this is something that needs to be looked at. And then later on, another incident came up that happened more recently with, uh, Max. And so, um, so I started to just see what the Lindy Hop community was doing. And I think they were just, doing their best in navigating where people, you know, had their own opinions and stuff. And I just sit and like read and I'm like, this is, this is messy all over, yeah. you know? And I think they, they've learned, you know, the Lindy hop. I, I look at some of the stuff they've done recently, especially around the me too community and consent becoming more and more of a mainstream idea. And I think just like any community, they learn from these experiences experiences and trial and error trial and error for right. sure right. for sure so um so yeah that that was like one of the first things that like i was like okay this is a big situation going on in that community 
Um, I know in the fusion community, they're, they're very conscious, like mm-hmm. they're very progressive. They're very like ahead of the curve. And so they do a lot of work of implementing a lot of things. And I would talk to some leaders in that community. And it's funny because they, they do their work and they'd have a lot of certain ideas in place. And then there are some blind spots <laughs> and I, I don't want to really dive into all of that, but I appreciate how they would be more conscious and they would talk about and bring to the forefront when you come to their events, they would have like codes of conduct or they would have actual conversations of like, we are a consent focused event or Mm -hmm. we have our care team in place, things like that. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I would, um, when I was overseas, I really got into the Zook community and I started going to uh, different events and retreats in the Zook community. And I was uh, invited to teach West Coast Swing at some Zook events. And so I would just observe what was going on there. And um, I'm like, because this is, this is a dance that's very sensual and you're very, you know, you're in very close proximity and there's a lot of, um, well, I think we can say that about all couples dances. They're, they're, you know, we're two bodies dancing together. We don't dance separately. We dance close, close true. proximity. But there's yeah. things with the Zook community that you don't experience in other dance communities. For example, um, and, and this is another thing about like consent. Lots of times when we step onto a dance floor, we're already giving um, unspoken consent saying, yes, I'm open to you connecting with me in this certain way. I'm open to us touching each other in this closed position or whatnot. And something that I notice in the zoo community that they're comfortable with is they're actually rolling their heads and their faces around and touching face to face. Mm. And I remember being in a dance and the guy just started doing that with me. And I was like, this is super awkward and uncomfortable for me, but I'll, I'll lean into it. Okay. And I'm trying my best to follow his face lead. (laughs) (laughs) And, and sure enough, I didn't follow it. Right. And my mouth brushed his, and it was just so uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. so like, you know, like just one of those, like, what happened? Um, so, um, and you're doing all these undulations and rolling your bodies on one another. And, um, and I think there's nothing wrong with this. I don't want to shame this community or the dance. I think it's a beautiful art form. And I love dance forms that emphasize our sensuality and our sexuality and whatnot. Um, But um, with great power comes great responsibility. And when you're, when you're playing with fire in this way, you need to take on extra precautions of how to navigate that. So I kind of went into that community assuming that they had been doing a lot of that. And as I would have conversations with people, it was kind of more of just, you know, we just kind of figure it out as we go along. Mm -hmm. I remember being at one event and I was hired to talk about consent at that event. And one of the staff, one of the people that was on staff there, um, they asked me like, Oh, are you here to teach West coast swing? And I'm like, no, I'm here to teach about consent. And they were like, you're here to teach what? I'm like, I'm here to teach about consent. They're like, I, what is this word? And I was like, consent. Where was this? This was at the event that we were at together. That oh, that's when you had the pamphlets in Seattle. Yeah, the consent that. culture yeah. booklets. And I remember that. And one of the people on staff, they had never heard the word consent. Were they from the United States? 
were they foreign? Yeah, they were foreign. Okay. Well, that like makes here sense. Here in America, we talk about consent are, forms. Like, yeah. sure. Has to sign right. off on but it, it kind of gives you a perspective of how, like, in some right. in some cultures and in some cities, like, the idea of consent culture isn't even, like, on the map. Yeah. Right? Right. And then here we are in this community where we're doing this kind of dancing that's a lot of sensual energy and, and we're in close proximity. So... It, right, it, but I also don't you think we also have to think about the fact that, I mean, Zook comes from a culture that's very sensuous in general. Exactly, mm-hmm. totally. Right? I mean, same with like they have bachata, which can mm-hmm. be very yes. body, very sense, you know. Yeah, and this was something I had to take into account when I would sit down and have conversations with people. It's just like, okay, this is a culture that's different from mine, so I have to have some uh, some patience and and some understanding of like okay how do you guys hold sexuality how do you guys hold intimacy how do you guys navigate violation um and so i i more went into those uh events and communities more like a fly on the wall just to to get an understanding rather than try to come in and go like no this is how you're supposed to do this like i i really try not to be that person sure. while opening the conversation and just allowing us to just talk about the things that we observe what works what doesn't what uh What's what people accept and allow, and what people um, find is uncomfortable, but they don't know what to do about it. Um, so, well, that's one of my questions because um, I think it's valuable to understand how you sort of diagnose a community, right? Like what <laughs> right. their norms are, what they're comfortable with, because I think we need to do that in our own communities, both, right? Mm-hmm. Both as a collective whole as well as like locally. Um, right. So what is it you do when you go into a community that helps you understand how they feel about this, where they stand, what their norms are? Is it really like asking direct questions or is it more indirect observation? It's both. First, I just see how they actually are in space with one another, like how they're actually physically. When they're in- not dancing. Well, while they're dancing, mm-hmm. then also just like, yeah, how they're in social space and whatnot. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I just observe and engage in that, you know, because I also notice we have different ideas of how we move through space on the dance floor with one another. Sure. For instance, mm-hmm. when I first started with doing West Coast Swing, I don't know if this is as strong, but I know in our community, there's this kind of unspoken rule that unless you're injured or you're having getting water, you're in the middle of a conversation. If somebody asks you to dance, you say yes. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. I know. It's like, uh, but that's something I've heard some people say, mm-hmm. like, you know, you say yes. If somebody asks you to dance where in like the ecstatic dance community, um, you have to like be okay. If somebody says no to you, right. Like that's, that's them taking care of themselves and to be able to, uh, be okay and expect that if you ask somebody to dance that you might receive a no and that you can you can go with that and not to take it personally. Let's explain for our listeners a little bit because not everyone understands what ecstatic dance <laughs> sure. community is like we do. <laughs> so just explain that. They're so going, we're understand. ecstatic when we dance. We're super yeah. ecstatic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a specific type of dance Totally. Community. Yeah. Yes. So explain that for a moment. Yeah. So ecstatic dance, um, it, it's all over the world, but it's definitely yes. more for uh, your um, – Lack of a better word for you, for your hippy dippy dancers out there. Free spirits. Your free spirits. Yeah. 
Um, it's, I appreciate it because it's instead of going to like a dance club, it's a space where you can come in and move your body however you want, whether you want to dance by yourself or you want to dance with another person or you want to dance in a whole group. You can roll around on the floor. You can shake. Right. You can jump. You can scream. You can swirl. You can undulate whatever you want. And, and that's the beauty of it. However, because they don't have certain rules like we do in partner dancing, like, right. you know, you go into this certain structure oh. of dance form, um, there, they have to have more, uh, more agreements or just more protocols of how you navigate engaging with one another in a nonverbal way on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. So there's, so there's a lot more precautions of how to attune if somebody is a yes to engage in a dance with you and then how you can communicate that you're a no or you're complete with your dance. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a little insight of what ecstatic dance is. And right. I think, yeah, that's and important. I, I think it, the culture of each dance is very different in terms of how we understand as a community, how we navigate right. consent on the, on the dance floor. Right. Cause I think it's important to understand that, you know, Zouk um, is a Brazilian dance and, mm -hmm. and the Brazilian community is uh, love and touch and totally. they're, they're, they're more open. It's beautiful. Uh, right. They're definitely more uh, physically more open uh, than, than say the United States is. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so from the outside looking in, people may think, wow, this is like really inappropriate, <laughs> like touching, but for them, it's, it's part of the dance. It's part of what it is. That's why I think it's important, you know, for, for us not to like label things too much because, mm -hmm. you know, in one dance, something might be appropriate and in another dance, it might be inappropriate. So in our dance, my question is, you know, we have harassment, assault and, other inappropriate behavior. Um, but what does that look like in our community in West Coast Swing? For the, what happens on the dance floor or what happens? What does harassment, assault, and other inappropriate behavior look like in our community? Well, let me, let me actually pull it back even more in terms of what does assault and, and crossing violation look like just in general? <laughs> like, I think, I, I think, whether you are in one dance community or another, if somebody engages you in a way that you're not a yes to, that you don't feel comfortable with, then, then that's a, a crossing of a boundary. Um, and we can dive into who's responsible for that and, and how we best communicate that. Um, and like you said, I think culture is a huge thing. You know, when you go to a certain, cities you know people greet each other by kissing each other on the cheek right? right versus other people um shake hands other people give hugs right other people bow other people I mean? bow. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so mm -hmm. so there's two things to take into account there's the part of knowing like what is the social norm of of greeting and and what your space is with one another in the culture and then how you move through the space on the dance floor. Now, having said that, there are certain things that we do in our day to day of how we engage with one another right. that, um, to one person feels comfortable and normal. And to another right. person is, you know, a little intrusive. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just take the idea of just hugging, for instance. Some people don't like it. Some people right. prefer and not I love to be it. hugged. Right. Right. You know, so and that's part of, yeah. It's good to it. check in. Like I, I learned 
that instead of like, you know, I'm a big monster hug person. So and, am I. <laughs> like I'll come yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and with certain people, I know that they're, they're a total yes to that. And other times I'm not sure. So instead of me charging at them, right. I'll open my arms big and invite them right. to come into my space. Like, right. Hey, you know, that's my nonverbal way of saying, Hey, I'm open to a hug. You want a right. hug from me? Come in. And other right. times I'll just ask like, Hey, can I offer you a hug? Right. Sure. Real simple. I think that's important uh, to keep in mind that like you raise a really good point that we should keep in mind as we have this conversation that, um, one context matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, we're talking about consent or comfort or boundaries at so many levels. Totally. Because there's, yeah. there's like our global West Coast swing community. We have certain right. norms and boundaries. Right. There's our nation. So like America is going to be different from Germany, from Russia, right. whatever, Brazil. Then you have locally, like we have a culture here in our Bay area, mm-hmm, but right. then like the culture of my dance venue is going to be different than WNY or Michelle Cruiser's right. dance. Mm-hmm. And then you get down to individuals. So yeah. Deborah and I were talking about this yesterday that I may be comfortable dancing with you two one way and not with a stranger. Mm-hmm, right? right. So like these, these boundaries are, can be set in many different ways and with one individual can vary based on context, mm-hmm. which, which, only highlights the fact that it's important to really do our best to highlight and understand the boundaries, like to check in on them and not make assumptions about where your boundaries are. Right. Yeah. One thing that like for me, just one of my personal preferences is um, one thing that, that gets me is when somebody comes up to me and they, they put their hand on me, especially if I don't see them coming, they'll put their hand on like my waist or my arm as a way, as a way to ask me to dance. dance, Right. Or they'll come up and, or they'll just come up and take my hand Mm -hmm. and they haven't even asked me. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll like take my, my whole body back to myself. I'll like, pull back and I'll stand there and wait for them to like ask you, you know, and I'll be like, Oh, are you asking me to dance? Yes. I'll dance with you. I had a situation where, um, a man asked me to dance and he put his hand on my back and was kind of pushing me onto the dance floor. And I realized he didn't think he was doing anything inappropriate. He was escorting me, me, but it, it didn't feel good in my system. So I just gently like took his hand off my back and then brought it around where I just kind of put my looped my arm in his arm. Hmm. And I could see him kind of look at me like, huh? And I didn't want to shame him or make him be like, oh, mm-hmm. you're touching me inappropriately. I, it was just a gentle way of communicating to him. Like, this is how I prefer to be yeah. escorted onto the floor. And also for the record, ask me first. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Would, hint, would hint. you say that um, because our, our dance you know, all of our, all of the dance venues that we in are, are, are basically a social, social dance venue, right? Yeah. And we're in close proximity and we, we kind of all, you know, know one another and some of us don't know each other. I think that what's happened is, is that leaders forget that even though we're dancing together and we're in agreement of being in this large space together, that we still deserve to have you be a gentleman to us. Mm-hmm. We still deserve to be asked, you know, kindly. And, you know, how do you feel about, can you dance now? Or as, a, as opposed to like groping or grabbing us 
mm-hmm. to pull us onto the dance floor. So I don't think it's just a dance thing. I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a cultural thing now where mm-hmm. men aren't as gentlemanly as they used to be. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, w- women are, are so strong that men feel that they don't have to be gentlemen because we're trying to find our space in, in the world. So I don't know about that because as a man, <laughs> I still yes. think there's a place for gentlemanly because to me, gentlemanly, that's means not respectful. what I'm saying, but no, I just I'm not saying... saying there's not a place for it. I'm saying it's just not happening as often as it should. Like I agree, don't... but I don't think it's because there are strong women. I think it's just, we've lost a, a fiber of, of respect and morality in our culture for all sorts of different reasons. I think we've lost the ability to communicate. I think we, you know, like there's mm-hmm. all these other bigger issues. That well, that's because of technology and all of that stuff, yeah, but that's but I think another podcast. But I think it, <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think it, I think you're right in that there has been, um, I mean, look, to some extent, it's a lack of respect. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, a man who escorts you out onto the dance floor with the assumption that you're going to say yes. Now, the assumption that you're going to say yes is not respectful because he hasn't sought your consent first. Right. right. But the idea that he's like, oh, I'm going to ask a, escort a woman out onto the dance floor. Um, well, that's can great be perceived as long as, as you ask me. Right, right. Well, you have to ask me first, though. Right. Yeah, uh, oh, right. absolutely. I'm just saying that, like, I think some in some way, in some ways the gentlemanly part is still there it's just we we also need to dig a little deeper and make sure that the woman's okay with you being gentlemanly with her depending on your definition of gentlemanly and i also just want to uh state like especially now you know post me too i think a lot of men are just kind of confused and lost of like what is the appropriate way to engage with you and and and, and afraid too totally yeah i i I totally agree with that i'll say as the the lone male here i have to represent all all men all men on this podcast (laughs) i hope all the other men listening realize what i've gotten myself into Um, (laughs) but um i'll say when the me too movement uh, happened. Um, my first thought was about time. I hope this time it sticks. Like that was right. okay. my first thought. Um, but yeah, there, there was a period where I was like, Oh crap. Have, what have I done? You know, like what have I unknowingly mm-hmm. done? Have I offended somebody in some way? Like I definitely have been more heightened, um, in my awareness of my own behavior and how I treat people. I'm more mindful of like the language I use. Um, yeah, it's definitely made me. I wouldn't say afraid per se, but definitely more self-conscious. Hyper-aware. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think there are some men who, look, there are some who are afraid. There are some who are even just offended. Yeah. Like, oh, you're all snowflakes. Like, get over it. Totally. Um, you know, oh, I shouldn't be accused for what happened 30 years ago. Like, there, there are a lot of men who don't react constructively. They react offensively. Um, but I like to think, at least in our dance community, most of us are at least open, you know, to change. I'm maybe being optimistic about that. Um, I think there are some men who aren't going to hear us, but. Right. But I think the whole point of us is to, you know, we have this wonderful thing called dance where we have the, this place where we can all interact together. We can, we can dance with each other. And there are a couple of people that, you know, come into the mix and like, like put this wrench in, in this, in this symbiotic relationship that we all have you know, with each other. And now we're confused and we don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing though. I have so many things to say. On so all say these your parts. things, babe. So, um, so first off, um, 
Let's see. Let's grab a thought and go with it, Shanti. Okay. So <laughs> if I, I wanted to rewind a little bit in terms right. of, of how, uh, the gentlemanly part of going onto the dance floor, I also just want to acknowledge that there seems to be this entitlement or expectation from pros to be able to just dance with you. And I noticed that sometimes that there are people who go up to a pro, whether they're male or female, they'll put their hands on them and expect them to dance with them without checking in and seeing if they uh, are, can can consent to that. And I think this is a reason why we don't see as many pros in late night dancing because they feel obligated and people get angry that they aren't going to just show up and dance with them. You are correct. So, so I think there's that part, you know, people say, Oh, but they're in that powerful dynamic. It's just like, and they're humans. So let's recognize um, that, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you're a pro, you're a baby beginner. If we want to have respect and sovereignty for, for ourselves, we got to actually give that as well. Right. And, and me too, just as you're talking about how it, you know, made men go like, Oh my gosh, like I got to check myself. I had Mm -hmm. to check myself too. And I recognized Mm -hmm. how in the past as a woman, I thought I could get away with certain behavior because I'm the girl in the dynamic versus uh, being a guy, you know, and I would get angry if uh, a man wouldn't allow me to engage with him in a certain way, way back in the day, I was that, that person. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, like if the roles were flipped, people would say that's really screwed up if a guy behaved that way to a woman. So I had to put myself in check in in Mm -hmm. certain ways. Um, So yeah, there's, there's that element of, of, like if we really want to raise the bar and how we navigate and how we communicate and how we respect each other's space, right. make sure you're walking your talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Actually, you raised, you made me think of a really interesting piece. So Deborah, getting back to like why we don't show the same level of respect. And we <laughs> talked about this with Tom, for those of you right. who listened to that episode, but entitlement is a real thing. <laughs> yes. And it's very pervasive. Mm-hmm. And yes. like you said, it comes out in all different ways. So sometimes it comes out in a man assuming that you're going to dance, that he's, that you're going to dance with him and he escorts you out onto the floor without mm-hmm. thinking about it. Sometimes it's the way we treat pros or expect higher level dancers that they have to dance with us because they're pros or, you know, mm-hmm. they're out there to make business, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense yeah. of entitlement, I think, means that we make assumptions about what we deserve or what we can have mm-hmm. or take without asking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of where we are in society right now. That's just the type of society that we're in right now. Right. In the last, I'm going to say maybe, you know, seven to 10 years. So, okay. so Shanti. Yes. Or Shantala. Mm-hmm. I like to say Shanti though. Yes, Deborah. So what, what, <laughs> what, do, what do you think is making this behavior happen in our community? Why is this happening? Why do we have uh, people who, you know, don't understand that it's important to, you know, say, would you like to dance? And don't understand that it's not okay to grab someone to dance and not okay to like, you know, be verbally abusive to someone and so on and so forth. I would, I would also add to that, um, going back to how you were sort of talking about other dance communities. Mm -hmm. Um, what are the, what is your observation of West Coast Swing? Is that fly on the wall? You know, like, cause I think it plays into how this stuff happens. happens right? what is, for yeah. Sure. What are the norms? What are, what, right. what are we like as a community that's allowing that? And what's, what are we doing that's perpetuating this behavior? 
Yeah. So this is this is where I like get a little like more reluctant wine. to say more yeah more wine. <laughs> um, I love I love our community in so many yeah. ways, and I feel like oh, I, I might get a lot of a lot of slack for this, but I feel like. West Coast Swing is a microcosm of a lot of our patriarchal tendencies in the regular culture, mm-hmm. right? No, I agree with that. Um, and yeah. I see it, I see it more so in West Coast Swing than probably any other partner dance community. And what I mean excluding, by excluding ballroom and Latin. Oh gosh, I, I yeah, I'm not right because they're kind of the same. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you... They're very would, patriarchal. And they polar. are. Would you say that yeah. they're a social partner dance? I'm thinking more of the social not. partner dance communities. They're not. So you're right. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And tango, Argentine tango, that's a whole other interesting conversation. <laughs> right. But um, but having said that, what I mean by that is I think we normalize certain behavior that we're, we're not even aware of it, where we're kind of oblivious of these power dynamics of... Um, the ways that we are kind of in taking taking advantage of one another in these ways of of crossing boundaries, how um, we don't think it's a big deal. Um, I remember I, I want to tell the story because it, it was really shocking and it's important. Um, and I also want to say this, saying that not to single one person out because I think everybody, to a degree, in our community carries this, especially amongst the men. And so we can't like just say there's a couple bad apples. Everybody on some level has something that they do that they're not aware of that perpetuates mm-hmm. some kind of um, violation or misogyny or um, or some kind of aggression, whether it's actual physical aggression or some emotional or verbal aggression. Um, but I remember a few years ago being at an event and I was just on my way of coming up as an all-star like people were just starting to recognize me and I was invited to have a drink with um, a couple of top pros and champions um, in their room and there's probably maybe a good 10 of us in the room and these are very respected pros and one of them was a male pro and he was having fun and, and joking about and he made a comment to another one of the female pros about what uh, jokingly about doing something to her sexually about, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was just kind of trying to laugh about it. And I found it highly offensive and highly inappropriate that my jaw dropped. And I was like, I like, went like, Whoa. And I see her just kind of like, you know, grinning and just like, okay. And, um, Mm -hmm. And I, and I hadn't done any of this work that I know now, oh, man, if, if I could replay that, the, what I would say now versus then, but I just sat there and just kind of went like, whoa. And, and he was, um, and he was like, no, no, it's okay. My wife would be fine about it if she was in the room. And I was just like, your wife, what about the woman that's standing right before us? Like, is she okay with this? And everybody chuckled and nobody said anything. And I wanted to say anything and I didn't because this is a respected pro and I'm afraid if I spoke up and I said something to him, I'd burn a bridge and I wouldn't, um, ha- my opportunity of becoming a pro would be lessened. And did so, you, yeah. Did you talk to them after the fact? I didn't, no, no, okay. I, I haven't said anything. You know, I, I didn't, I wanted to talk to the woman and be like, 
Like, are you okay? But I didn't have the means at the time. I didn't have the communication right. tools. I didn't have the resources. I didn't understand. Knowledge. I didn't right. have the education of knowing right. like what's respectful, what's not, what's sure. inappropriate. Um, but I remember being highly offended and not knowing what to do about it. And I was there with a peer of mine and he was there and we left and he was just like, just let it slide. It's okay. It was a male peer. And he was, and he was just like, you know, whatever people are people. And that's that right there is what I mean by like the things that we normalize that we allow to happen that per perpetuates the microaggressions that turn into the bigger right. issues that happen that occur at our event. And I've had, I'm, I'm really privileged and lucky enough to have so many people feel safe and trust in me. I've had so many people come to me and tell me about different situations that have occurred in our community. And it happens way more than yes. we're aware of. And it happens with so many more people than we, than we would realize that we respect and that we love. Um, and, um, I'm somebody that doesn't want to play, you know, these, there's good apples and bad apples. Everybody has a degree of where they are ignorant to their own behavior, of their own misogyny, of their own way of, uh, of a entitlement, of their power dynamics. Don't you think it's all about awareness? Totally. I'm, I mean, like, it's common sense, you know, calling you know, a woman, so to speak, a bitch is not okay. Mm -hmm. Unless you're girl to girl and girl you're joking girl. around, right? Joking girl. around. Um, and there's that other word that's even more unconscionable. Right. But what, what I'm trying to say is that I, I feel like we're all smart enough to understand boundaries and what's right and what's wrong. I think there are, there are a certain um, groups of people that just, want to see how far they can go how much they can get away with i think yes and no and we yeah. talked about this with lizzie too there mm -hmm. are there is not one personality type that like or one type of person that defines somebody who will who will cross that line more um, wine shanti yeah. <laughs> you bet was. like here we go now like, we're getting can into you hear it the, the, <laughs> the, the <laughs> um like all right let's go let's but go. yeah there's no uh, like there's the research doesn't support that there's like one type I'm of not person saying that there's one type of person i'm saying that there are people that are aware and people that aren't in general sure. for everything in life that we do sure there, well, you're there, right there are, are some people, people who are, are more awake intentional and, and some people are not awake well here's the thing though to play a devil's advocate some people don't know their boundaries until they're crossed right so they don't know how to communicate that so you could be in a situation where you think both of you are being consensual both of yeah. you are a yes and and you're going about engaging in some kind of intimate situation and then all of a sudden one person gets triggered and they don't realize it and they might be all of a sudden they might be in a trauma state and they're in a in a freeze mode mm -hmm. and they're not saying stop they're not saying no and the other person it, to their awareness everything's kosher, everything's great, you know? And then later on, that person will be like, okay, I was violated by this person. And they're like, whoa, no, 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 no. So you have two very different perspectives of the same situation. So um, I think it's also really important that we are able to educate ourselves of knowing how to take those pauses, 
how to take those steps and checking in and seeing not where the no's are and the boundaries are, but where we're in a full open yes. We're like, yeah, I'm all about this. And if there's any like uncertainty and I'm not sure, just slow down, you know, right? And right. just take a, a pause. Um, so would you say that the, the, that uh, it's important, especially for us as females, because I feel like I think men are violated too. Not yeah. just women. Yeah. We're both I've, violated. I've, I've okay? heard stories in our let's, community about let's that. Just, let's, let's just put that out there. But obvi- it's it's for sure that women are more violated than men are. Oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yes. And, and, I, and I would say that on either side, whether a man's violated or a woman's violated, the, the problem is, is that when it happens, we don't speak about it. No. Right? So... I think it's important to... Which I think we should change. I think right. we're stepping but into a place where we have more th- courage to speak up. But, but I yeah. think it's important for people to understand that it's okay when someone touches you inappropriately, that at that moment, you specifically say, I don't appreciate you touching me that way, or please move your hand. I think the problem is, is that we don't do that at that, at that specific moment. And then things escalate and mm-hmm. they perpetuate. And, and now we are where we are right now. We were having this podcast because mm-hmm. not enough people speak their minds or say, I, I don't like it when you yeah. do that to me, or I don't like it when you speak to me right. that and, way. And also a reason why that is, is sometimes it's a situation where you want to be in connection. You want to be in a good flow with somebody. Sure. And you're afraid if you speak up to a boundary, you're going to kill the buzz. You're going to you're going to hurt their feelings. You're mm-hmm. going to, um, right. Make thing. you're going to ruin the evening or the situation or whatever it is. So like for me, I've learned how to speak up for myself without mm-hmm. necessarily shaming or making the person wrong. So, Nobody said that had to go that way. Right. No, but speaking up for yourself doesn't that. have to be negative. Right. But people but can be afraid of doing it. They that. can be afraid of it. And that's why they don't say anything and allow their boundary to cross. They'll self-sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to to not rock the boat. Right? Mm-hmm. Conflict avoidance. Exactly. So, uh, like, if, like, I, be, I think a huge thing is learning how to speak up for yourself and then to gently and compassionately inform the other person like i i actually prefer not to be engaged in this way or touched in this way and another great way to to shift that is to it's kind of a a negotiation it's like i don't i really i'm not comfortable with you kissing me but i'm totally open to us holding hands as an example giving an alternative Right, right, right 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 so you can keep the engagement and you're not making the person wrong and that person will actually probably feel safer because you're able to speak up to what you are a yes to and what you are no to. And this is something that I've heard a lot of men speak about their frustrations. It's like, how do I know where, when I'm crossing a boundary until I, until after I cross it. And that's when it's too late. Yeah. And that's when they are really appreciative of, of women who are able to, to communicate like, this is okay. I like this. This is not so much, but like maybe we can do this instead, or we can find a way to that we both feel really good about some kind of engagement. Right. I right. think that's a big part of the challenge. Like you said, people can be afraid to speak up. It's huge. For all yeah. sorts of reasons. I mean, part of it may be if it, if it does cross a line that's too much, they're just kind of in shock and mm-hmm. don't have the wherewithal to say something. Right. 
So that's part of it. And just I, happens I, in a big way. Yeah. yeah. I know a couple of people where that happened, where like afterwards they were like, oh, that, that made me uncomfortable. But at the time they were just like, I couldn't believe he crossed the border. You know, like he crossed that boundary. So that's one, the fear of shame, the fear of I did something wrong. You know, if I say something, the fear that, of offending. That's what and, my situation was with this person who said this thing to this woman. I didn't right. say anything, right. exactly. even though I was offended um, for these very reasons. Yeah. yeah. And I just think that, yes, we need to prepare and enable uh, followers, women, men, whomever might um, be the be the target of this kind of behavior or suspect to this kind of behavior um, to speak up and and feel comfortable speaking their mind right. in a constructive, unoffensive way, right? Mm -hmm. Use I statements and it's like, <clears throat> I'm not comfortable with this. Um, right, not placing think, blame. Right. right. I yeah. think at the same time, we have a problem still, and again, this is a broader societal problem, mm -hmm. which we talked about earlier, where men like get defensive about it, mm -hmm. or whoever the offender is. Um, we need to also create a world in which if somebody says that to you, you do not react negatively, angrily, defensively, that you mm -hmm. respect what they told you. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you're uncomfortable with that. I hear you. Right. So, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. Like there needs to be a, a respectful yeah. way of responding. And I feel like it, it's, you know, always chicken or egg, right? Like if people don't speak up, boundaries are crossed. But if people right. speak up and then people are like offended by it, then they're not going to speak up anymore. Totally. So we need, we need to take responsibility on both sides to like educate and establish these norms, enable both sides to deal with these kinds of situations. And I think also it's important to understand, you know, intent intent is really important in, in these situations. And there are some people who do things and their intent was not to be that way. And, but that's how the other person perceived it. This is the hard part about this whole thing, because we all think differently. We hear things differently. We feel things differently because of experiences that we've had in our yeah. lives. So what may be a trigger for me may not be a trigger for you and so on and so forth. So before we like jump to conclusions let's think about, do we know this person really well? And do I think that that's actually what their intent was? Or maybe I just took it that way because of how I feel about it. Yeah. That's yes. important to understand too. The thing though, is that like, uh, cause I've had to do, um, like ethics and sexual harassment training for work, mm -hmm. right? Like your workplace. Mm -hmm. And, um, when it comes to harassment or, well, in that case, it's sexual harassment. Um, there's two things I learned from doing those trainings. One, apparently I'm morally flexible. <laughs> like I did horribly <laughs> on the test. <laughs> I didn't like, say horribly, means. but like <laughs> on the ethics one, I was like, well, it kind of depends. And they were like, nope, that's the wrong answer. Oh. Like, Damn. <laughs> like, duh. Anyway, um, but the other thing that I learned is that um, sure, intent and context matters, but at the end of the day, what's most important is what the person experienced. So... You know, if I, if I were this guy in that party situation and my intention is to just be funny, yeah. but I'm not right. And I'm like offending somebody, then my intention to one extent is important in the sense that if I wasn't being malicious, then when somebody says, Hey, that was too far, I should be apologetic. Of course. Right. No, I'm saying that. Yes, um, absolutely. But absolutely. I feel like regardless of the intent, if the boundary is crossed, if somebody is made uncomfortable, then they were made uncomfortable period end yeah. of story right, right. so right. yeah i would hope that and we can talk more about this in terms of like how to respond to these kind of situations um 
But I would hope that, yeah, both sides are considered, that both parties are, are spoken to because both were involved. But yeah. I feel like if somebody said, well, I didn't mean to do it. Okay, cool. Are you? Do you recognize that you did it? Sure. That you made it's them uncomfortable? Thing, it's one thing to say that I didn't mean to do it, or uh, I'm that's I'm so sorry. That was not my intent. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I I I apologize. When someone says that was not my intent, it always comes from a good space. When somebody says I didn't mean to do that, it actually means that they don't really care. That's how I feel about oh, it. it. When you I say I didn't depends. mean. Yeah, I feel like the words are, are, are wrong. I didn't mean to do that. Well, what did you mean then? I always, I always take the analogy of like if you like accidentally hit somebody by your car, right? Right, and like you know they fall and they break their leg, and they go like, "You hurt me. You broke my leg." And you go like, "Well, I didn't mean to break your leg, right? I didn't. I, my intention wasn't to break your leg. It's like it doesn't That's matter. Better. My intention, <laughs> like it doesn't better. matter if it was your intention or if you meant to or not. Acknowledge like." Your action created created harm. And that's the thing for me is that, like, I hear what you're saying, Deborah, that that words do matter. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. For me, it's not that sentence that matters. It's the next one. Do you say sorry? Do you say, are you okay? I broke your leg. You know what I mean? What can I do? What can I do for you? And the thing is... How can I avoid that in the future? And the biggest thing is acknowledging that that person experienced some kind of hurt or some kind of violation and recognizing that. Okay, that was your experience. My apologies that that happened for you. So do you think that's why more people don't speak up because they don't get the validation that they wait, that they want. So they choose not to speak up anymore. Yeah. yeah, That that's when we go into the territory of victim blaming kind of a thing, right? It's just like, Oh, but you, you put yourself there or you said it was okay. Or, you know, it's like, it's a lot of that kind of thing of like, no, it's not all my fault. I'm going to put it back on you. And it's like, I'm not going to endure that kind of emotional labor or that kind of dismissal of how we play this part together. Um, Accountability is really important. Accountability is huge. I wanted to talk about, um, Oh, by the way, before you do that, I was just going to say, I will share, um, because I, I re- found this article on Psychology Today um, about the eight reasons why somebody who uh, has been subject to sexual assault or sexual harassment does not speak up. Oh, gosh. That could and be it, its it, own it, podcast right, right there. But I just right. want to share that for our listeners. I'll post that article because it, it really is good in laying out like all the different reasons, that we, a lot of which we've talked about, mm-hmm. shame, right. fear, all of that, um, low yeah. self-esteem, et cetera. And right. there's, there's the trauma aspect. There's, um, there's the aspect of looking like you're trying to create a problem. You're trying to... Troublemaker. Troublemaker. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's... You know, trying to get something out of somebody, you Fear know, of repercussions. Fear of repercussions, right. like getting all this extra attention, um, being mm-hmm. re-traumatized by the situation. And, and I think <sighs> we should also recognize that that there are people, um, in all communities that fabricate things like this because they want attention. That does happen. Let's not not recognize mm-hmm. that. Um, it happens less than. The, the, the norm and it of, does yeah right but it does happen it which does is why happen. we have we have to be very clear and understand um how we recognize the one that's trying to pull the wool over our eyes yeah that's why it's important attention. that's why i feel like it's so important to have proper uh checks and balances and systems and protocols in place sure <clears throat> so that you can so that we can uh 
allow everybody to have their story and their experience. So we don't just hear one side and make our, make our, you know, opinion or decide, I think this person is telling the truth and this person isn't, you know, um, and that's the scary thing about the whole mom mentality. But before we go into that, I want to, um, I want to rewind a little bit about just a, a simple difference between consent culture and hookup culture. Um, in they terms are of, different in terms of what we're talking about here. And one simple thing is I, I like to think of hookup culture as trying to get something from somebody where consent yeah. culture is about empowering somebody to be in their choice, to be in their right. sovereign choice. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says, uh, just, responds with a clear no, or they respond with something saying like, I, I rather not you touch me in this way. Consent culture would celebrate that person. They'd be like, wow, thank you for speaking up for yourself. Thank you for taking care of yourself. Thank you for Mm -hmm. communicating with me what works for you and, and what doesn't rather than taking it personally and thinking that like the person is, is trying to blame you for taking something from them. They're just, they're actually speaking up for themselves and so consent culture is about how we can empower one another while staying in connection and move into deeper connection in that way. Right. But don't you think like, again, mm. for, for me, it always comes down to ego. So if you say, if you say to me, you hurt my feelings, my first instinct is to say, I'm so sorry. How do, how do we, how do we make this better? Mm-hmm. And in, more often than not, in situations like this, you'll say, I really would appreciate it if you don't touch me this way. And the other person that you're talking to gets their ego blown mm-hmm. and then they immediately turn it around on you. So I this is a big, I don't, sorry, I just want to clarify. I don't know that I'd say more often than not. I'd say, yes, it sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. I would say more often than not, Maybe actually. In your experience. Right. So yeah. I'm talking from myself. Okay. That comes, and, that comes back to I'm the also, place of not taking uh, things so personally. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Go right. Ahead. So four agreements. One of the four agreements is don't take totally. anything personally. Right. Don yeah. Miguel Ruiz. Let's put that in the, in <laughs> yeah. the, uh, yeah, we should. Everybody. Yes. Uh, read the um, book. Read the book. So, <laughs> right. So when someone, you know, and, and obviously I'm a different person now than I was, you know, as I'm my early twenties or whatever. But now when somebody says to me, you hurt my feelings or, um, I really didn't appreciate it that you did this. I'm so like on the brink of crying because I hurt this person so much. I feel terrible. I'm like, Oh my God, what can I do to fix this, to make it better? Um, uh, and, and, and I feel like part of that is because of an empath and I don't have ego. I'm like, oh, it's like, and other people, when you say you hurt my feelings or I don't appreciate that you touch me like this, they immediately, you know, flip the tables and now it's about you. You know what? It's you and you and you. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what just happened? Yeah. That's a big one. I've experienced that a lot with, um, a lot of, uh, men specifically where I would take certain steps for my own self care. And I would explain to them something like I'm creating this boundary, um, because I have, excuse me, I have situations about myself I know that I'm sensitive to and I don't feel safe. I didn't feel safe in this certain situation with you. So I had to pull myself away. And instead of them going like, okay, like you, you're, you're taking care of yourself and I respect that. 
Instead, they would be personally offended and be right. like, like, I didn't do anything. Like, right. you're, you're making it a bigger thing than it is. I'm a safe person. You. Right. And it's just you. like, now you're not hearing anything I'm telling you. And I'm mm-hmm. trying, I'm sharing this with you to better, have you better understand the entirety of my dynamic. Um, and I think it's also important if you are in that situation where you need to communicate to somebody a boundary or that they've crossed something or a way that you prefer not to be touched. It's about the delivery as well. You know, it's like, hey, like you touched me inappropriately. You're going to get a defensive response, most likely, versus mm-hmm. like, hey, I just want you to know, like. You engage me in this way, and I prefer not to be engaged in. But that even way. that way, people get offended. Yeah, and that's on them. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, right. So that's my point. I don't think. Sometimes I don't even think it's about delivery. I think it's just about the person that you're talking to. They're so not comfortable in their own skin. It doesn't matter what delivery you give them; they're completely on the defense all, all right. the time. And that's doesn't what I what, think it w- is the shifting of this culture as we go from pre Me Too to post Me Too era and hookup culture to consent culture. That that's something like as we start to shift in understanding how we um take more responsibility and taking care of ourselves first, because that's the biggest thing is we put if we put responsibility on everybody outside of ourselves to create safety for ourselves, um, we're we're taking away our own our own uh ability for self care, for our own sovereignty, for our own empowerment. Um and so when we cross that bridge, I believe more people will recognize if somebody speaks up for themselves saying, I don't want to be engaged in this way, we won't take it so personally. Hopefully, I'm being optimistic right, about right. it. Um, hopefully, we'll take it as, oh, look at you speaking up and empowering yourself and, and speaking to boundaries. And I'm not going to take it personally. This is the same thing of like, thank you for taking care of yourself. I honor your no. We celebrate your no. Right. Yeah. Instead of being offended by somebody's no, which is something that I think a lot of people are scared of around consent cultures. Like, oh, no, now I have to, like, deal with more no's. And it's right. like, no, no, no. The no is a pow- is a yes to the self and finding where you're into more yeses together. Right. And so that we, sh- we should be celebrating that with one another. But a lot mm-hmm. of people aren't on that ba- bandwagon yet. I also think it's a matter of just um, just being more open. Like, I think a lot of times in the dance, um, you know, we're taught, like, this is the way to do this. This is the way to do a hip catch. Yeah. Um, and one, I will say, I find in my teaching experience, I'm constantly reminding leaders slash men how to appropriately catch the hip. <laughs> like, how many times have I told you how to catch the hip? Like, I think I, there's a lack yeah. of awareness just overall in bodies. Like, they're just not mindful of it. But then the other thing is, is that... Even if I, if I teach, like, this is where you catch the hip, there may be a woman, a follower who says, I'm not comfortable with that. Like, can you please mm-hmm. hold me here? And I think we need to foster, um, and I say by we, I, I'm in many cases as a community. talking about, as a community, but I'm also saying, uh, I, I'm taking the responsibility as a, as an instructor. This is huge. Yeah. Sure, of course. As an instructor that I not only need to say, like, here's where you hold the hip, but keep in mind, you know, one followers, you should give feed, feel free to give feedback if that's not comfortable for you. And right. two leaders, you should be open to that. Like, this is the way that I'm showing you as kind of a guideline, but you may have to adapt different women or different followers may respond differently. 
And right. like, just to be open to it as opposed to like, well, I, this is how we're supposed to do hip catch. What's wrong with you that no. you're not comfortable with it, right? I mean, don't we understand that West Coast Swing especially is a dance that's a series of adjustments. I mean, we have to consistently adjust based on the music, the the, the person that we're dancing with, yes. or, 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 you know, it's sight, height, height, size, changes how I move right. with someone. So I'm always adjusting yeah. to, there are absolutes in West Coast Swing. That's not one of them. One of the things that you and I talked about, Deborah, um, yesterday was that just because you see somebody right. dancing with someone else a certain way, mm-hmm. you should right. not assume they are comfortable That's... dancing with you that way. Mm-hmm. And right. I don't think that we emphasize that enough. Like, I think here's the thing in any culture, we have our, our rituals and symbols, right? Like the apparent ways that we manifest our culture, right? Like we dress a certain way and we have certain greetings and we have certain handholds. There's certain ways we start dances and clothes. We walk out onto the dance floor. You have right. um, behaviors in that bucket too. Mm-hmm. So certain ways we treat one another, but underlying that are our espoused values. So we say, Oh, right. we're about partnership. We're about connection, right? We're about um, uh, expression, these kind of things, but underlying all of that, so if you look at like the, the three tiered model, you have your rights, rituals, and behaviors. You have your, um, espoused values, and then you have your underlying assumptions. And I think part of the problem is that we let those underlying assumptions be underlying. <laughs> mm. We don't make them explicit. I think a lot of us, yeah. especially who, and I take responsibility for this myself, that we become instructors and it's the curse of knowledge, right? We know things. And to some extent, we kind of assume that other people get it too. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about instruction, I don't think we should assume that. I think mm-hmm. we need to be explicit that like, to your point, Shanti, of like, when you ask somebody to dance, it's, it's not, oh, you asked, like, I think a lot of times we, we talk about like, we, we just go out onto the dance floor, we start in clothes and we start dancing. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I do talk in my class and I know other instructors who do the same about like, you go, you ask somebody with your words, <laughs> like, right? you Use say, words. would you, it's a question, not dance right. with me or grab them. You know, right. you give them a chance to say no, but like, I think we need to talk about that. We need to talk about like, yes, I'm teaching you the hip catch this way. I use hip catches cause I just see it done terribly all the time. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and as, as a guy who follows, like, excuse me, sir, like either you're reaching for money in my pocket or you like me. But your hand should not be there. Um, so oh I see them done all the time. But anyway, but like when I teach a hip catch to be to be mindful, I do say to my followers when we're in closed position, like if the hand on your back is not comfortable, I give you permission. I encourage you. I I compel you to tell your leader and, and fix it for him or her, whoever's leading, like in class so that they learn. It, but to move it where they Yeah, no, that's hand. that's exactly what I tell them. It's like I, I want you to put the, the hand where you want it. And I think we just need to do more of that in an instructional context at a minimum mm-hmm. to get people used to the idea that everybody is a little different and might have different boundaries. I wanted to, it's talking about it from an instructor point of view. I also want to just emphasize the difference of power dynamics when you are somebody in an authoritative position, whether you, mm-hmm. when you are a pro, you're sure. a teacher, you're somebody that, like I had the thought today, like talking about dance class of like people relinquishing their consent and their boundaries. Like, I believe if you really wanted to, you could teach a dance class and put people in the most bizarre, awkward position and they would just do it because you're the teacher and they're just entrusting you. Um, 
And so that's within a dance class dynamic, but also just outside of dance class dynamic. I think if you are a pro, if you are somebody that people look up to or somebody that, you know, they want to, uh, you know, they want you to like them, emulate, whatnot, you have to recognize that, that things you say and do or request, people might not have the power to stand up and say, actually, I'm not a yes to that. They'll go along with it anyway. Um, and this is another piece I think that we see in all of these dance communities in the Lindy Hop and the Zook and in our West Coast Swing that um, is a huge factor of why we, we hear these stories of violation or assault um, Mm -hmm. is because it's like, Oh, you know, especially like with Stephen Mitchell, Stephen Mitchell was this top pro who would invite these young girls and say, I'm going to train you. I'm going to train you to be one of the best teachers, one of the best dancers out there. Come to my hotel room, come back to my room and uh, I will give you some personal tips and they would just do it. And then he would engage with them in a certain way. And these girls would go along with it because they trusted him because they wanted to be this dancer and they lost their ability to recognize I'm not cool with this anymore. This is crossing a boundary and I'm going to speak up for myself. And this is something that we see a lot, you know, especially like pros going like, come back to my room and we're going to have a drink. And people just kind of go, okay, I'm part of like the cool kids. I'm being invited to be part of the party and I'm just going to go along with it. But didn't you just say before, you know, with great power comes comes great great responsibility. So if if you, me as a professional, if I'm going to invite uh, people to my room. First of all, I'm very selective who I invite to my room. But if I invite people to my room, there's not going to be any me taking advantage of anyone else. Right. But again, that happens. To, yeah, that's right. What happens. Oh, right. But what I'm trying to say again, to me again, that's like a, a like a personality thing. Like it would never occur to me to bring someone to my room to take advantage of them. Right. That's yeah. not my personality. Yeah. If I want something, I ask for it. If I don't get it, then I don't get it. But I don't take advantage of them. That's the difference, I think. So when we talk about the Steve Mitchell situation, this is a male who's in power, who knows his power, who turns to younger females in hopes, which usually he's right, that they don't have the wherewithal to go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't like, because honestly, me at their age, whatever it was, 16, you know, 15, after I went through things in my life, I recognize anybody asked me to go back to their room, hotel room. I'm like, do I know this person really well? I don't care if they're a pro. I don't care if they're well known. Am I walking to the room with someone else? I'll never walk up to my room, you know, when new in a community by myself. I'll always make sure I have somebody with me. But I, so I think I think it's a catch-22. We have I, two situations. I have to say, this is something that was a bit disturbing that I did witness in the Zoot community mm-hmm. is, um, you know, the, the after party is a huge thing. And, you know, these, these top, like, pros and artists, they'd be like, hey, we're having a special private party. Come on up. We're going to take these drugs. We're going to have these drinks. We're going to engage in this way. And these girls who want these attention from these pros will just go ahead and go through it. And then what I would witness afterwards is all of a sudden that they would be put in some situation that would cause some kind of major trauma. And they'd be, and they'd be, 
very confused and lost because they trusted these people because like you say, with great power comes great responsibility. responsibility. And there's kind of this assumption that, that these people in power know that. And so they're They're going to take some care and instead they're taking advantage. Mm -hmm. And the hard thing is that these are people that everybody loves and admires and this behavior occurs. And so then people don't know, well, what do we do? Like, we don't want to not hire these people anymore because they bring so much art to our dance form. Um, and yet they are abusing their power and causing a lot of trauma in our community. Right. And that's what creates a lot of sticky situations where people will look the other way or just, you know, go into the victim blaming. It's like, well, they know what they're walking into. And it's not that simple. And that's where it becomes really... Ah, really complicated in terms of how we how we figure out how to hold who's responsible and 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 have them take accountability for their actions. Right. So look, this is why this is why I have an issue with juniors dancing mm. with adults and juniors because because we we live in a community where we drink and we you know when we're all adults all adults, then things are a little easier. But then we have other things that come into the mix. We have 14-year-olds and 15-year-olds that come up, you know, to the room. And and I'm going to tell you, when I'm in the room and I see people that are young, I'm the mom bear. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why are you here? Who brought you up here? We need more of those in the pros. We need mama and papa bears looking out. We do. We do have them. We have them. It but just, I, I, I've heard stories, people who are now adults, but they were, they were kids and teenagers when they started this community. And, you know, they're, they're a bit shooken up from like, they were invited to rooms and they were drinking or, or participating in some kind of drug activity under age. And then they would see like pros acting in these certain ways or like they would have access to hook up with people at a young age. And they thought I'm part of like the big kids club. I'm pretty is, cool. And right. then later on they're dealing with some kind of like drug, you know, addiction or alcohol addiction or, or some kind, you know, they realize that what they're going through is something that wasn't healthy. And now they're having to process some form of trauma that they endure that they didn't realize was occurring at the time. And I totally understand that. And I totally get that, which is why I think it's important that, you know, juniors are important to our swing dance community, but there's a time um, and a place for them. And and also my, my issue is, is that, um, that, it's not my job, although I it ends up being my job a lot. It's not my job to police people, mm-hmm. nor is it my job to have to mind my P's and Q's at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. Totally. Not, I feel so, that. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that I get out of hand. I'm a very responsible adult, but I like to drink too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Here, Here's the thing that's that's tricky about all these situations is when we talk about consent culture, a lot of people look at it as a way of, of policing and it's actually quite the opposite. And, and one thing I would love to see specifically in our West coast swing community is implementing more um, systems of protocol to navigate. So we don't put the responsibility on 
on very few individuals that as a whole community that we are better informed and educated and that if things do happen, we know the proper people to go to and we know how to navigate and handle different situations and that, that the people who need to be informed are informed. If it's an event directors, if it's parents, whatever it is. Um, and I know you guys talked about this with, um, your other guests, but like, if we had something more in place where we had a care team that could, um, that people can go to saying, Hey, this situation happened. I don't know how to navigate it and how we right. can empower them to choose what they want to do rather than somebody gets wind of, Oh, this person violated this person. I'm going to go on social media and which you know, I think is terrible slander their name and yes. make everybody get on the bandwagon of banning right. this person without a proper system of, right, of justification, right. totally. healing, repair, whatever right. it is. Right. I just like really want like that's a huge piece that's so important to me. That's like I'm really passionate about and I have so many different visions. Oh, my God. I could do a whole other like <laughs> podcast just on this thing, because the thing is people are creating systems that are possible. It's right. not like, oh, how would it work? It's just too complicated. It's like actually people are starting to do the work and implementing how we can create this in every community, in every community. So not one person feels like they have to carry it all and deal with right. it. And so, everybody has feels safer coming into a space. Right. So, cause I don't want people to uh, misconstrued you know, what I say when it comes to juniors, because I believe that juniors are the future of our dance. Mm. I, ju I just believe that sometimes we subject them and we put them in situations that they don't need to be in. They don't need to be in the ballroom past 10 p.m. And they don't need to be dancing with adults in competition. We should have a separate thing for them so that they're around their own people. And then when they get older, then they learn how to coexist with us because we do have people in the community that aren't like us that go, wait, what, where's your, like, who's watching you right now? And who are you with right now? You it's know, about we, avoiding we, high risk situations. Right. That's my point because all of us, all, all the professionals that there's a lot of professionals that have children and so, but we all take care of each other. That's the deal. The pros take care of each other and we take care of other people, but it's a lot of response right. responsibility. It's so much. So if we had separate things or places or people that we can go to to talk about different situations, there should be things in place for, you know, people who are violated that, you know, have felt uncomfortable, that they don't feel bad to go to the event director and say, hey, this is what happened, you know, to me and, 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 and stuff like that. So I think part of the problem is, is that we have this thing happening but we don't have a specific protocol of how yeah. to take care of Nobody things. knows how to, to handle with, it for right. sure. So, so let me right. ask the question then, because you said, I have a vision. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. I have so many ideas. Oh, my so God. Can we please? Let's, like, let's, let's change it the to, way we... First of all, I just want to <laughs> highlight just um, that we've talked about a lot of... Because when we talked with Lizzie about why these kind of things happen and, like, the bottom line is power. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about a lot of different power dynamics here, right? So right. we've talked about male-female and how that exists in society. Mm. We've talked about um, professionals and, non and amateurs, mm -hmm. right? So right. teacher-student. We've right. talked about older and younger. Younger, mm -hmm. Which right. is another one. Um, and I would also add, by the way, speaking of underlying assumptions about our dance, lead-follow. Um, yeah, Unfortunately, totally. like, we still yes. see the leader as the powerful one in charge, 
I mean, even the name leader and follower implies but, but, that, right? Right. Uh, Have you danced with me, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you've danced with me, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> anyway, why I so... can't stand degendering. It's not about male-female. It's about more like leader-follower. Like Right, but I say regardless of what your role is, we need to level the playing field in terms of power. Mm-hmm. Like a follower should have just as deserves just as much respect and can have. Can oh my speak god! Can I just do a, a whole leader. workshop of how so, followers can right. take like power yeah, so in your on. dance? That's just a whole other workshop. Sorry. That, I mean, just podcast. by you saying that, we're, we're, you've just opened up a whole can of worms because even in life, this is why this whole degendering thing annoys the hell out of me. In life, women aren't equal to men, and when I okay. say equal, I correct. don't. You're correct. Equal is the wrong word. I should say equitable. Equitable, right? That's the yes. right word. Sorry, equitable. You're, you're right. Mm. Yes, I, I want the equitable. roles to be equitable. You're absolutely right. Yes. Um, so, thank you for clarifying. Um, but anyway, we need to we need to make it more equitable so that right. it's not oh the leader put me in this position. I guess I have to go with it, right? Right. And and I think that does happen. Anyway, so I don't I, I don't want to take hmm. male away from male and female right, right, away right. from female. I don't no. want to take that away from them. Sure. Um, but anyway, I just want to highlight those those four different power dynamics because all of them are at play in our dance world, right? Yes. Um, at, at different times and sometimes at the same time. Um, but let's get back then to this question of, okay, so what do we do about this? And, you know, you talked about protocol, but I think it's helpful to look, I think that in my mind, and you can add something if you want, but to me, the two main situations or main primary places where this takes place is one, your local dance or studio or venue, mm-hmm. right? right? And the other is dance convention or yeah. dance event. Yeah. So how do you see this working in those two situations? Well, that's the thing. I think right now we're, we're kind of um, feeling our way through. Um, but um, I, I have, I just want to take a moment to look at what some other um, events and venues have done and taken mm-hmm. the initiative. Um, put in place. And, and they've put in place. Um, mm-hmm. So up in Seattle, there's a fusion um, venue. It's a local venue called Ohm, and they created a whole dance ambassador program, and mm-hmm. it's phenomenal. And, and it's um, done by Laura Durkin, Michelle Allen, and Carrie French, and they mm-hmm. put together this incredible program where they train a care team, and they're uh, and they're trauma informed, so they understand how to navigate those who experience trauma. Mm-hmm. They know how to remain neutral. They know. And they're, and they're taught how to assess the situation and what's the right way to go about a protocol. So that's just for their local dance. I've like wanted to, re- I've had amazing conversations with Carrie French. If you don't know Carrie French, look up Carrie French. She's just a phenomenal person leading the way of, of, of this work around consent. And then she puts more emphasis around ecstatic dance and the ecstatic dance communities are doing some great stuff, but I feel like we can all benefit from it. Sure. Um, right. And, um, so there's, there's the aspect of implementing a care team for your local venue, just always having somebody there. So the event directors can, or the people running the event can focus on their job. The dancers can do whatever they want. And then the people who are voluntarily saying, I'm here to be somebody of support if something were to occur. And so those places are, are there. I just want to test it. How, how does that work? Like, how do we? How do they advertise that they're the care team, um, and how do they make themselves available? Um, so, what I understand for them, they have a whole training program. Um, the other piece is that usually there's a code of conduct. Mm-hmm. So when you come into the venue, 
Um, lots of times they'll have something where you sign. Like, I understand that this is like, this is a consent focused place and to respect people's boundaries. And if I just, if I do violate somebody's boundary, if I do cross a boundary, um, that there, or if I feel somebody has crossed my boundary, we have a team here. We have people available that we can, uh, speak to. And then here are the certain protocols that could insert ensue, including not being able to come back to the event. So that's at registration. At registration, you can they, sign it. Because I feel like a lot of people just sign the form. They sign right. it. They sometimes do. they have a, sometimes they'll have an actual sign posted, you know, with simple bullet points that list it that you can simply read and get on the same page. Right, um, but it's important to understand, like you said, there's a team that's available. You know, available. Av- yeah. Available. Like what do they look like? What are their names? Like, do we know this? Yeah. yeah. Like, or do you just do have they a registration? Sh- like, what is it? Uh, yeah. Like, like, how do we find them? Like, what do we do? Yeah. This I, is important. They, they have this incredible, like, I can look up this link right now. Um, can we share that link? Or no? There's certain parts that I can share and there's certain parts that I understand that, like, because it's a specific program that yeah, people sign up for, which I think is brilliant. Like, you know, here, like they say, here, part of own culture we have the dance ambassador program. And if you want to become a dance ambassador, here's the program that you can take. And then you will be an official dance ambassador. And then it's just kind of starts to become well known that when you go to that event, there are always dance ambassadors there. I personally have not attended a, a, an event at that venue, which I hope to do. And I hope to meet uh, these creators of, of this. And I personally would love to, have the training and figure out ways that we can offer this training to other dance communities. Um, but I think it's a huge step in the right direction. Right. I partly asked you about like how it works in practice. Cause I, I have a code of conduct in mission city mm. and I have like an abbreviated version, like at the registration desk there. And then usually somewhere else in the venue. Um, and soon we will be launching a new registration system that's online where people will have to agree to the terms um, and it like when you go to check the box that you agree, it will pop up <laughs> just to make sure that you actually saw it or had the chance to. It's also available on our website. Um, Having it on your website. Yeah, that's a yeah, huge thing. And, and it's posted like pinned to our Facebook page, like that we have a code of conduct. But I just feel like so many people, like, I feel like I need to do more to make people aware of it and actually. Well, I think uh, part of the it. problem, Eric, too, it's not you, you make, you make it available for lots of people. It's just people who, uh, are actually aware and they're reading it. They're like, Oh, I'll just sign this. I don't even care. I just want to get right, into right. the dance. You know what I mean? That's the, I think that's the problem. Cause I think that happens to like the waivers at, you know, dance events. I didn't read da- it. Yeah. What, dance I'd events. Where, where, where it says to four different events. Well, where, where I think I it's no really idea. funny. I think it's really <laughs> funny. Cause if you talk to, to any lawyer, any, any learned lawyer will say to you, it doesn't matter that you sign that waiver. If you hurt yourself at an event, you so can sue them mm-hmm. in a hot mm. shot second. No, yeah. In a hot shot second. You can oh, totally do that. Yeah, no, you can. That waiver means nothing. It's just it's just a means of kind of showing that you can protect yourself. And most people that sign that waiver don't even sign their actual signature. Hmm. Sure. Also, most event director. Well, they should. I know most venues also have liability insurance anyway. So right, <laughs> like just in case. But, that happens. but a lot of people. But a lot of events don't. You'll be yeah, surprised. There's a lot of events that don't have liability insurance. So just because they sign that waiver means. Right. Zero. But I do feel like having like part of 
what I have in my code of conduct. My code of conduct is long. <laughs> it's longer. Like the full version is long because mm-hmm. I'm very explicit about what qualifies as quote unquote inappropriate. Um, your yeah, rights to is... like say mm-hmm. what you can do in the case that you feel like somebody's crossed your boundary, how you should react to that, you know, all of it, how to reach out if something does happen, how it will be dealt with. Like it's very explicit because we have a lot of new people. Right. And I, it, they, even if they've been in another dance community, they may not know how West Coast Swing works. And some of them have never danced before. So yeah. they don't know how this works. So anyway, I say all that because I feel like if we're talking about educating people and raising awareness as a big part of forming this consent culture, mm-hmm. I feel like what's in the code of conduct needs to be more widely known. Yeah. I agree. And I also feel like the more, the more dance events on a local and as well as like the big actual weekend events, National more, level. the more people like bring that as just a part of the event, the mm-hmm. more people will catch on and realize what it is and maybe understand what is expected and required of one another. Well, here's my, here's my difficulty with all of this. Mm-hmm. Let's just, so people go to swing dance events mm-hmm. and most people don't even read the rules. Mm-hmm. Correct the rules for what they have to do in their division. So now like we have this. Co- Sorry, I just felt like I had to mention that. <laughs> I was going to say, are we talking about, oh, we're talking about actual dance swing content. I'm just talking about- That's a different podcast, right? Like <laughs> that are rules and regulations of the swing dance event and rules and regulations of the actual divisions that you compete in. Right. They sign saying that they read it, but for the most part, nobody reads it. They just sign it. They don't want to deal with it. I think so, it's the I, same thing when you like, like join like Facebook or something and they oh yeah, the give you the endless Apple. thing yeah. and nobody reads it and they sign it. However, like uh, if you sign it and something happens, you can be held accountable. It's like, well, it's in the print here. We like, we covered the whole thing. It's actually there. We have a whole system and protocol on how right, to so navigate listen, it. Everything in Facebook that is important is in fine print. If yes. you don't read the fine print, you're screwed. That's my point. Talk, yeah. Right. If we talk about dance events, nothing's in fine print. It's big and large. It's right there. It's big and large. And it's yeah. there for everyone to see. But for the most part, most people do not read the rules of their division or right. the rules and regulations of the event. And I think a code of conduct is amazing. And it should be just like I have a sheet that has a whole dance etiquette sheet, mm-hmm. like what, how you should walk a girl on the floor, off the floor, have a, five chains of shirts you know, for guys that are right. sweating, it's not even my yeah. dance etiquette. I took it from Tom Maddox and he allowed me to reprint it for him because it was genius. But do, do many people read it? No. Right. Well, so that's my question though, right? Is like, like I have a code of conduct, but if nobody reads it, then right. well, so on, the one, on the one hand, I can still hold them accountable to it and say yeah. we posted it and it's available, but that doesn't necessarily prevent it. It just means I can hold them accountable right. when something happens. So the question right. becomes... How do we create a culture of consent? This is the biggest thing. That's what the norms are. So you don't have to read it. You just know. This is the big thing is, you know, we're in a time where we're transitioning, we're shifting in terms of how we understand how to hold more accountability, responsibility, respect, and sovereignty for one another around, you know, like in some, in some cities, consent culture is a foreign word and idea. People don't know it about it. So it's a, it's a huge mountain. It's a big mountain to climb. However, there are people who are starting to implement, uh, protocols and systems and, and, uh, rules and, and conduct and policies 
to get that ball rolling. And I understand right now it seems like so much and it takes time. And this is something I had to come to a realization when I was like, oh my gosh, okay, here's like, I have a whole idea of an app. I have this idea for, okay, <laughs> let, listen. Okay. So I have this whole idea of an app where, um, you have uh, an app where you can look up whatever event you're at. And at that event, it will list the people available at the event who have gone through some trauma-informed training as a care team support. And they can put themselves on it. And of course, there's always fine-tuning to this, but they can put themselves there of like, I'm available this evening. So if you, like, it's a huge right, event, stop, right? Stop. Before you Before you continue, you do realize that you're putting this idea that you have out into the public and somebody might steal it. So you show sure you Well, we have it on recording that I'm talking about it first. <laughs> it's, it's kind doesn't matter. Okay. All right. Keep going. But no, the reason why. Uh, does it and, matter who comes up with it? Get it done. And in full, and in Agreed. full honest transparency, if there are anybody out there who wants to help me create this app, because I don't know how to create an app. I think it's a brilliant <laughs> app. And, um, this, I have so many ideas and visions and I have no idea how to take the next steps to actually birth them and create them. And so I need support. It requires a whole team of people to do this idea. kind of work. Yeah. So swingdancer.net app. You know that app? Mm-hmm. There's also Swing Points. Yeah. Right, but the swingdancer.net app, forget the Swing Points app. Mm-hmm. They have a part of that app where you can find people to do Strictly Swings. Maybe they can add onto that app mm-hmm. where we can find people who have gone through the same things that we've gone through and blah, blah, blah. Maybe you should talk to him about it. Put a whole care team piece onto yes. it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like yes. it. Yes. Um. Cool. Yeah. So um, just to come back, I want to just bring some attention to this festival. It's it's more of a transformational festival called Soul Play. And it's the only festival oh. and weekend event that I have found that they the people behind this, they're brilliant. They, they're so passionate about this work and they really want to – I feel like they are the pioneers of like – how to really set a whole system of protocol of how to navigate issues of violation of assault at a, at a weekend festival. Mm-hmm. And they have um, their policy, they have their code of conduct, they have a report incident protocol. They, um, they explain the different levels of violations so that it could be a minor dispute. It could be a right. major dispute. Um, they have, um, people like the conflict intervention protocol. Um, they, ex- they define what a major violation is versus what a minor violation is. Um, they uh, have education. They talk about legal disputes versus just personal disputes. Um, and they talk about uh, the reparative actions that can be taken as well as the right. preventative actions. So the whole thing around this is you have to have the preventative, which is the code of conduct, right? Which is the education, which is people learning how to be able to speak up for themselves, having right. systems in place when something happens, right? That's the preventative. Mm-hmm. And then you need to have the reparative. You need to have like, okay, so because it's inevitable, People are going to cross boundaries. People are, it, it's just, you can't ever have a space where nobody ever experiences some kind of moment where they don't feel safe. It's just not possible, but we can do our best to lessen that 
that possibility. And we can also do our best to make the um, effects of it less harmful and less long-term, right? So right. if you have the preventative and then you have the reparative and the thing that we have that all that most people only know is you say this person's bad and let's ban them. And that's it. And that's not yeah, a fair, I don't like that either. it's not a fair form of justice no. in terms no. of the different levels of how uh, forms of violation and harassment and assault can occur. And this right. is what I so appreciate about what soul play does is they acknowledge that and they offer different, different possibilities of how to handle situations. And they also say like, Maybe you have three warnings and we, and right. you know, if it's a major right. violation, we might have to say on that one, you can't come back. If it's minor ones, we might recommend you go through a mediation or you go to a class or something, and then you can come back. There's all these different levels and they deal with it privately and discreetly rather than making it a public Facebook. thing. Yeah, right. I the totally pe- agree. Then it's we can ridiculous. trust as a community that the people be- that are running the event have got it taken care of and that we don't have to worry about our own safety and that we have to announce to everybody this person's not safe, ban the person. Right. I think, I think, uh, we have a, a huge, uh, lynch mob mentality in the West Coast swing dance community and maybe in other communities. I don't know because part, most of the people that I interact with on Facebook are part of the West Coast Swing Dance community. And they do and, that because they don't know anything else. We don't have anything else available. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Listen, for me, like, if you have an issue, I, I want to go right to the source. I want to talk about it with the source, maybe have a mediator or whatever. It, would, it doesn't, for me, Facebook is a last resort. If I agree. If you've, if you've navigated all you know, possibilities and it hasn't happened, then Facebook is the last resort. I find in the West Coast swing dance community, the first thing that people do as soon as they're pissed off about something or something's happened to them and they don't agree with it, they go straight on Facebook and they lynch mob. They lynch mob. Yeah. Totally. But but you say mediation. A lot of people, A, don't even know mediation is a thing that you can go to and B, where do you go for mediation? Who is listen, available listen. for mediation in our West Coast Wing community? There's a ton of professionals who have made themselves available to, to, to many people to let them know if there's something that you need, come to me. I'm one of those pros. I'm like, you need something, come to me. And and the the, the, the best thing to do is when something's out of sorts in in a in an event, the the tooth major people event director or professionals because they have the most say right but they don't but it shouldn't be their responsibility it not, really shouldn't be saying. their responsibility that's not what i'm saying because people the have gone is- here's the thing people have gone to event directors in the past and they go this person's not safe we have an issue with this person you need to deal with it and lots of times the event director they have their hands tied because a they want to that either they have to just ban the person because they don't know what else to do because they don't have their own resources available because they have been educated in how to run an event, not how to handle a situation of violation or assault. So they're like, okay, these people are coming to me telling me this person's a bad person. I could either just go with their say and ban them or I can tell them 
I can't do anything unless you have some kind of legal thing that proves that well, that's, this point. That's, and then the, it upsets the people. And so they're, they're, they're stuck and they don't know how to navigate it. Where if you had somebody in place who has the education, who mm-hmm. has the training, who right. is neutral, who's not going to take sides, who's not just a friend or a pro or whatever it is, somebody who has done the proper training to be able to go, okay, I'm going to show up and support the person who felt violated and see what needs to happen, assess the situation. And then I can report to the event director. This happened at your event. Here's what they're requesting. This is what they need to feel safe or supported. Here's what I recommend that we do for the next proper steps. And then you don't feel like you have to go to social media in order to ensure some kind of has, safety for all. Right. But I, because I, the I, event director is not doing anything about right, it or I, they I, have I, to follow the pressure of the public. I right? agree with all of that. However, because we don't have anything in place right now, it's important to either go to professionals or event director. Listen, when people come to me and they say, this and this and blah, 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 and that happened. I give them advice and I, and the, the first thing that I say to them after I give them advice is don't you dare go on social media. Mm-hmm. Don't you dare do that. That's not the place for it. That's not where you do it. Let's handle it, you know, quietly and figure things out for me. For me, social media is more like, um, I'm teaching here and I'm available for privates right. or to empower people. Uh, it's not to, uh, you know, talk about, Oh, my dog died and I'm so sad or this person's annoying me. And, that's not what, that's not, social media is about being social. Social. Well, that's what and they're what you, doing. They're being that's not being social. social. <laughs> Talking they're about telling other me. people. Listen to me. So Talk let me ask about, you, Deborah, because I, yes. I heard your point. I, I want to ask you a question then, because I think it's important, because we, we talked about this earlier, that so, if, if an event director makes a decision, right, if something happens at an event and it's raised with them, and I agree with you, I don't think this should be on social media. Just, right. I'll say that too. Um, but the question becomes then, how do we spread the word? And by spread the word, I don't mean tell everybody. I mean, how do you alert another event director who may have this person who might attend their event? It's called send them an email or send them a (laughs) message. But I mean, is that the bar? No, no, no. (laughs) Is that, but, um, but I'm just saying, Uh, um, because then the question becomes too, of how does another event director deal with this? It didn't happen at their event. It was handled okay. by somebody else. So right. do they, what are they, what are the, what are their options? This what is, this is what, this is, it might not be the best idea, but I, and I believe they're actually already, the event directors have taken it upon themselves where they have their own, um, personal group, uh, thing on social media or some other aspect where they keep each other informed. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to take it a neck, a, a step further where there's an actual council where you have not only the event directors, but you actually have people that are educated around this work Mm -hmm. to give the event directors well-informed information and, and also give them the best resources and then they can decide what to do. Mm -hmm. I do think, I do think in certain situations, however, after so many steps, it's, there's certain times and places where you do inform the public. However, it's not, I found this information out and I'm just going to put it out there without right. checking in with everybody. Instead, it's, we've sat, we've discussed, we've discussed with the person who experienced harm. We sat and we talked to the person 
who caused the harm. We went through so many protocols. And after sitting and talking, we've all decided that this person is not a safe person and cannot be accepted back at our space. And we've decided as a whole that they need to be removed from our community. And And then you have like a a professional, well-thought-out, written statement that you bring to the public versus, hey, everybody, this piece of... This POS is right. a rapist, so and now let's all ban them. Like right. This- right. So, 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 so this is my 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 pro- my problem is is that I find that there there are a lot of people, whether they are survivor victim or the actual perpetrator, mm-hmm. that that use Facebook to get people on their side with yeah. with the lynch mob mentality. And and my deal is. Is if you need to lynch mob, then you're not actually in the right. Well, the people you, that are, here's the other thing. Usually, the people who decide to do the lynch mob are the people who think that they're being the hero. I'm so no, grateful you guys are like giving the time to really unpack all of this because it's not. I've had conversations like this where we have an hour and then we get into the good stuff, and the hour's up and we can't even. Yeah. Attack, by the way, I'm taking notes to provide a summary because we've talked about a lot of things in a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a huge I, topic. For sure, it is a huge topic, and 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 obviously, I I don't want it to like like it's important to understand that we we the dance community is is a place where people go to escape the the norms of life. Yeah, you know, bills right. and this and that, and and we don't want our dance community to turn into something you know so like regimented and policed that we can't like be free so we have to be careful this is the biggest thing for me it's like it's like gosh i really don't want to come to a place where we're policing i just want to implement certain systems and aspects where we actually can feel safer to be more open and more engaged that like if i want to be if i want to have a drink and if i want to be able to dance and express myself freely and somebody somebody reads that wrong and sees that as an invitation to engage with me in a way that doesn't feel good to me, that I know that it, it's not going to require just myself mm-hmm. to try and and hold my my own boundaries, that there are all these different aspects. As a community, as a culture, we understand what's what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And then if we are in a gray area... We have other systems and people available to assess and navigate and figure it out. Let me ask you a question. Do they have anything in place for Burning Man? Oh, yeah. So Actually, for Burning Man, they have have their 10 principles, Mm -hmm. and they just added consent as their 11th principle as a major thing, because there was a lot of incidences of rape at Burning Man, for sure. Because there's so much free, free, we're free, and life is free, and... So, so, so maybe, uh, maybe using Burning Man's principles now with the added consent would, would, would probably work for us because, um, well, here's the thing. I don't know if you want to put this on your, your podcast, but (laughs) so, so the sex positive community play parties, right? Where you're going to a party to engage in sexual engagement. Those are the places where I've experienced high level of consent of, consent. Oh, of yeah. protocol because yeah, sure. in order to be able to engage in such an intimate 
right. uh, way of being with one another, you, you have, have to, to have, have these in place, yes. right? It, it, and they give you, if you go to a really good play party, they will, yes. at the beginning of the party, they'll go through their product. They'll go through their code of contact. They'll talk mm-hmm. about how to have communication with one another. Mm-hmm. They'll even walk you through a practice of like, turn to somebody now and you can either say like the actual truth or just play like, hi, I'm so-and-so. These, uh, I got tested this time and these are what I have. And right. I am a yes to like this and this and this, this. full engagement, right. you know, right. like, you know, just put it all out on the table so that everybody is well informed mm-hmm. and they are in full choice of how much they wish to engage with one another. And also they are very at, at a, a huge advocate of really practicing your no. If somebody yes. says, hi, you're a beautiful person and I'm attracted to you. Would you like to engage with sexual intercourse with me? It's right. like, I'm going to empower you to say your no, if you're a no. No. Because the last no. thing you want at a play party is somebody engaging in sex when they really didn't want to engage with sex. And then later right. on, they go like, I was violated at this party, but I didn't know how to communicate that. Right. Play parties are like, I know there's a lot of stigma and taboo around it, but that's a huge place where people are, are really taking the next level. Everything's on the table. Of how to communicate, how to navigate, how to deal with situations. Cause even with all of that, you still have incidences where people assault or violate at these events. And luckily the people who run these events do their work and making sure that they have all the pieces in place to deal with those situations so that Mm -hmm. they can continue having these events where people can be free and open and connect for sure. So, so, so what do you think would be the best thing for us to do or maybe more than one thing for us to do in the swing dance community so that we can have a community where we all enjoy dancing with one another and we all feel safe. Well, first of all, I think you guys are already doing it. Having these conversations is a huge part. It's a huge start. Like the, like we're all dancing and then we go to our rooms and we have those private conversations. And it's mm-hmm. really great that we're having these conversations out in the public and we're all on the same page, right. getting everybody in our community across these different cities and, and opening that conversation and seeing how people are feeling, I think is a huge step in getting us on the next level of how we want to move and engage with one another. That's mm-hmm. like first step. The next thing that like I like kind of grapple with is um, if there is a way event directors or something that community can have some kind of budget that brings in more of um, education and training around mm-hmm. the care team as well as um, mediation and then finding like the people who create these policies for these events, for these festivals that I mentioned, right. like, like if event directors can create some kind of budget where they hire people to create this similar kind of policy protocol or whatnot for their event. Um, and then maybe there can be something where multiple events get together and they implement the same one. This is the thing that I do notice across different dance communities is each dance community is creating their own individual version of code of contact and how to navigate it, which is great. And it'd be awesome through trial and error and through like, 
finessing if we figure out a way that actually works for dance communities across the board. And that could be from one West Coast Swing event to another, but it could also be what's going on in the Lindy Hop community and the Fusion of community and the Zoot community. What are you guys all doing that works that we can all implement so that we know if we do decide to go to a different dance community, those same ideas and understanding and systems are in place. It's um, standards and best practices. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a mountain and I realize it's not going to happen like by next year, but starting well, to take not. the steps, I think is really huge. Um, and, and there are people that I am like, so grateful are, that are doing this work and have created some really wonderful um, systems, some education, some trainings that are available that we can actually apply to our community. So it's just a matter of um, the leaders of our communities, of our events, taking the initiative of starting to implement it into place. Right. So let me ask you this then, because um, we're all preaching to the choir here, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Like. We're all like, as much as people hear us like disagreeing on things, we all agree that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with and we agree with how to deal with it. So what would you, Shanti, say to somebody who's like, what's, what's all the hullabaloo? Like, what's the problem? What, what would you say to them about why this is important and the need for change? Well, it's something that's a very alive in just our culture and, and our climate culture right now as a whole. Right. And, um, it's something that's been occurring for decades in our dance communities and there hasn't been much improvement over the decades, which I think is a concern and an issue that we really need to look at and address the fact that we're still hearing new stories of the same thing, um, is, is, disheartening and heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, for me personally, I go to dance. I think of dance as medicine. I go there to experience joy, to let go of other things that might be weighing me down in life, to connect with people. I think dance has created an incredible community and family that right. has um, been incredible for my personal life. Like, when I was traveling around the world, I would literally buy a flight to a city and then I would just post on Facebook, what Westies are in the city? I'm in your town. And people would take me in as if we were family and we had never met before. Right. So I have so much care. Like I, like I want to protect this community because it's such an incredible family that's worldwide. And, and if somebody goes to that space and goes into that community and experiences violation and the community is not there to tend to that and say, you're important. We don't want you to feel like you can't come back. We don't want you to feel like you're not safe here. That's an issue for me. Yeah. Right. I think it's really important because sometimes this is all people have. And if the one place you right. go to for, for connection, for joy, for, for mm-hmm. being able to comfort. let go of, for comfort, the one yeah. place you go to is the place that you actually endure more trauma. That's a concern. That's yeah. a major issue. And it's sad. It's like now, like the one thing that used to give me joy actually activates this, 
the sensation in my Angst. body, this anxiety, the anxiety this yep. pain, that, oh, that's heart-wrenching. That's terrible. And then where do they go? And then, like, it's so hard for somebody who's in that situation to feel comfortable stepping into a new dance space, you know? Um, so that's why I find it's so vital and so important. And we keep everybody in check. Because if we don't, it's really easy for people to take advantage and take it for granted. And, um, and if we continue to turn the other eye, we're saying that that's not as important as it is that we continue our competitions and people get their points or whatever. Like if we put as much time and energy into this aspect of our community as we do about swing content, (laughs) the humanity of our community, the humanity of it, which is a piece I wish we took more time acknowledging and talking about, you know, like, like we were so focused on the competition and like the technique of dance and, and like, you know, who is like the top like dancer of our time. And we don't recognize like, like you say, the humanity of the dance and what, what a gift and what we bring to so many people in the world. And like, I, I find that somewhat sacred and we need to, we need to really tend to that and hold that precious, you know, that's super important. Absolutely. So, we talked a little bit about how um, there are people who can react defensively yeah. right around this topic. Um, it's when we talk about like organization change, the word is resistance, right? So you're trying to do some change and there's always resistors. There's always people right. who will push back. Um, and sometimes they push back actively, like they speak out, they act aggressively or, or defensively. Um, sometimes there are people who, are just apathetic, like they detach, yeah. like they step away from the situation. Yeah. Um, there's all forms of resistance. Um, but I can imagine that, um, you know, we talked about how in the wake of the Me Too movement, um, there are a lot of men in particular who are just like very self-conscious, mm-hmm. right? Um, how do we create a space or how do we message this and spread it in a way that um, is a, is really reinforcing the idea that we want everybody to feel comfortable. Like we don't want men to feel uncomfortable because they're so right. self-conscious, right? right? I want them yeah. to have a good time too, but right. not at the expense of other people. Yeah. Right. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how we can talk about this, either language or messaging that says, this is really about making sure everybody's comfortable and it's not, when we say we want a safe community, we're not, uh, we don't want men to feel like they're on edge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, I feel like if we had the, this system and we had it laid out, like the, like I read what the soul play festival has, and it's just, these are the certain protocols that are available and it's, and it's just to keep things in check. We're not going to, like make you a bad person or say that, you know, you made this one mistake and now like we're going to ruin your reputation. I think when you, you lay it out in a way of like, we understand that there are all sorts of kinds of grievances and discrepancies and miscommunication that can, that can bring up this conflict and hurt. And we're all human. If we can recognize that and acknowledge that, but also create something that makes room for all the parties involved to have their experience acknowledged and heard so we can best figure out the best way to deal with it. 
that might relieve a little bit of the fear and that, that contraction, right? You know, I understand with the Me Too movement, there's, there's this piece of feeling like it's just saying all men are bad and, and it's just more of recognizing how so many of us, how, well, not so many of us, but how often this actually occurs and that we need to have more awareness so that we have better understanding how to hold and navigate with one another in that. Um, and you know, we're human and we're kind of messy about it. And, and I, I have my own inner conflict with it. Whereas a woman, I'm like, I've endured a lot of pain all by men. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I know not all men intend to hurt. And I know that not. not all men mean to be this way. And I need to have compassion for men and patients and help them understand what the experience is as somebody who has endured some kind of trauma or some kind of violation. And and I don't mean to be so heteronormative about it. It's just that's what's the main yeah. the the main narrative right now. And hopefully as we continue to have this narrative, we we make more room for the conversations of those um that uh aren't the the man perpetuating I can't wear right, the wine. Let's, it's this wine. I blame the yeah. wine. <laughs> let's, let's, let's not, let's not, let's not make things about gender. Let's just make things about issues. Cause it doesn't matter gender at this point. Well, the only reason it's why I'm making it gender is because, uh, Eric asks about men specifically, right. you know, which yeah. is usually an issue of men causing harm to women. And I want to acknowledge that women can cause harm to men. Which men I can said cause, earlier. What, yeah. And men can cause yes. harm to other men. And then there's also your, your queer, your transgender, your, yes. um, bi- non-binary. And, right. and, you know, we're all navigating how to make room for all of that. Um, and we're all important. And if we can, we can acknowledge that there are these, um, imbalance of power and the privilege, you know, if we can acknowledge that, but also keep everything, everybody included in the conversation and make room for everybody's experience. I think that's so important if we're, if we are to move forward to a new, uh, a new era of, of, of connection in a way where we aren't creating so much pain and hurt and trauma, you know? Um, but we have to acknowledge each of our parts in that Mm -hmm. and make room for everyone in that without dismissing the differences of those power dynamics and how the hurt's been caused. It's about recognizing them, right? Um, Mm -hmm. recognizing those power dynamics, recognizing your place in it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the phrase that's coming to mind as we have this conversation is a shared responsibility. We all share this responsibility. We share it as professionals and amateurs. We share it as men and women. We share it as lead and follow. Mm, um, right. There's, I, I love what you, you know, put forth from like soul play, the idea of having um, not just a protocol in place, but one that also recognizes again, degrees. Yeah. <laughs> it's not all or nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And this is something that, you know, I've had conversations with other people about these kind of things, in part because of me too, and in part just because of what happens in our commu- our dance community. Um, but like, you know, if I were accused of something, or heaven forbid, I, you know, overstep somebody's boundary and, and offend them or, or do something to make them uncomfortable, like I would want to know, right? I'd want 
the, the chance to apologize and want the chance to make it right as opposed to like, well, you did this, so you're gone. Yeah. Right. And it's not about um, defending or or prioritizing the offender. Right. It's just about recognizing that we all have shared responsibility. And like, to your point, Deborah, of, of giving an opportunity to talk about intent and the chance to make things right. Um, I feel like, you know, it. there's a whole spectrum from like, I put my hand in the wrong place and made you uncomfortable or held you in closed position the wrong way, all the way up to sexual violence, right? Like For sure. rape and every, you know, which unfortunately yep. happens in our community. And yep. I just feel like the punishment should match the crime. And I feel like if that's the case, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're a, a, a man or a leader or a woman or a follower, anybody who offends somebody else, I feel mm-hmm. like there would be less resistance knowing that it's not all or nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That there's gradations that we we're compassionate to both the victim and, or the survivor and the perpetrator. And I don't mean, comp- again, compassionate in like you get away with it. I mean, compassion is in to understand to, what they've gone through. Well, we're going to treat you like a human being. So yeah. you, you, you offended this person. I'm still going to talk to you like a human being who right. has feelings and intentions and the opportunity to apologize and make things right. Right. One thing, uh, a couple of things that I've always tried to address, because I've had people come to me for support and to navigate some of these situations. And um, one thing that I try and do is that I, I try to be um, very neutral about it while, while seeing what the person who experienced the hurt, um, what they need. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a situation, I had a situation one time where somebody felt that they were assaulted by another person. And with that person's consent, I was like, do you want me to speak to that person? And when I went to the person um, who caused them harm, they were in such fear that their reputation and everything like, oh my gosh, this person's going to go to social media. They're going to ruin my name. I didn't mean to do this. And they went into a major fear state. And I was there to ensure them. I'm like, I'm here to find the best way to to repair and that we can figure out how the best way to resolve this. And I'm also here to maybe help shine some light of showing where you might have made some choices and steps that you weren't aware of that caused harm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the idea of calling in versus calling out. It's a way to hold somebody accountable without um, ruining their name and, and putting like this bad person on them. It gives them room to, to improve themselves. Um, it gives them room to acknowledge where they might have uh, done something wrong. They might've made the wrong choices. Now, so, given that you do that, you're going to have people who don't have the ability to acknowledge that they are causing harm, that they don't know how to take responsibility and that they are unsafe. And those are people that we need to look at and say, I don't think you, uh, I don't think you deserve to be a part of our community. You have just lost your privilege. And this is another thing I want to just address to event directors. Like, I think it's a, a privilege that we all get to be a part of this dance community and, like any business, you have the right to refuse service. Right. And you, right. and so when a lot of event, event directors go like, Oh, it's out of my hands. It's like, actually, you have more power than you think. Nobody is entitled 
to come to your event. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you don't have to make it so black and white. You're gone or you're not. And I love the idea of like, we're going to hold you. We love you, but we need you to take um, some time away until we can figure out the best way to have this person ensure that they feel safe and that you have done the work that might be required for you to show that you are able to acknowledge what actions you took, what behavior created this and that you can come back into the space. Um, sorry, that was a, a bit of a long tangent, but no, that's good. Absolutely on point. But yeah, but there, there's all these pieces and, and with the situation where I addressed this person, um, they didn't, they didn't know they didn't, they, they sincerely didn't realize that they had caused so much pain to this person. And when I was able to just bring that to their awareness, the amount of like remorse and like they, this person was sobbing. They felt terrible. And they were saying to me, like, I have learned a huge lesson in this. And I know in the future not to uh, assume certain things and not to engage in certain ways. Um, and I, uh, and then they, you know, were like, I'm happy to write a letter, like whatever this person needs that they don't want me to ever engage with them. Um, so this is the thing is people make mistakes, mm-hmm. people yeah. screw up and, and just because they do that doesn't mean that they're not capable of learning from those mistakes and becoming better Agreed. people. Right. And I want to yeah. make more room for that. And also what's really important is ensure the safety and care for those who have experienced some kind of harm, some kind of violation, especially those who have trauma of some kind. I think it's really important that we allow them to distinguish what's the best protocol for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, like having these places, having these systems in place so we can best assess what's the proper next steps feels so important. Well, and I think what you said earlier, (laughs) sticking with me, which is you're like, look, these are always going to happen. Not necessarily rape, hopefully, like the extreme sexual violence is not going to happen. But, but, um, as we were saying earlier, boundaries often depend on context, Mm -hmm. the person, the place, the time, all of these other things. And so, yeah, it's likely that at some point or another, somebody's going to intentionally or hopefully unintentionally cross a boundary. They made somebody uncomfortable with something they thought was acceptable at the time and it wasn't. Um, and so regardless of like, good intentions Mm -hmm. um it may happen right and so having these protocols in place that create a space for survivors or those against whom somebody uh did one of these offensive acts um can go to a safe space deal with it and feel heard and feel responded to and actually have a response right but then also recognizing like, unless you are like a psycho who's trying to deliberately go into this dance community to take advantage of people, you really don't have anything to worry about. Yeah. Right. Like we're, we're going to allow you to make mistakes, not too many, you know what I mean? Like, but like we recognize that it will happen and we're not going to ban you just for being human. Um, I just think it's important. Like if I were to tell somebody, um, you know, I want to tell like all of the people who who may be subject to some offense, like there is always a safe space for you and we hear you. And if you're comfortable, we're here to help you respond to that situation and deal with it. And then to anybody who might have caused the offense to be like, 
you made an error, but let's let's try to resolve this and make it right. Right. You know, like it's both and, sides. And I have to say, this was something that as somebody who is trying to play um, the neutral party to figure out the best course of action in a past situation, a lot of people in our community interpreted that as me taking sides because mm-hmm. I created space to hear the story of somebody who was accused right. of assault. And I, I really hope that our community can learn to shift away from such a black and white, good or bad uh, assessment and, and acknowledge that more than anything, it's important to create space for everybody to have their experience and story heard and then t- to know what the best protocol is moving forward. Right. Um, because if we just jump to conclusions and make up our own minds, we are perpetrators ourselves and we are actually creating more violence and we're actually uh, re-traumatizing more people in the end. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. all very counterproductive. Yeah. It's a delicate balance. I remember recently, I'll see if I can dig it up, but uh, I was reading an article about how societies that want to be tolerant need to have a limit, mm-hmm. Right. So if you're a society of of tolerance, you can't tolerate hate speech, (laughs) like, because that's going against your norm. So there is like a boundary to tolerance. However, the other question becomes, then what is your reaction to the intolerant, right? Because that also defines who you are. And so to your point, if we are a, a society where a, a community or a culture where we are recognizing humanity in everybody that we're trying to show respect to everyone. Mm-hmm, then right. first we can't accept or tolerate disrespectful acts. Right. However, we also can't demonize and attack the offender without due process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it has to be this delicate balance of I'm willing to hear your side. That doesn't mean I think you didn't do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you did do something, but I want to understand where you're coming from and how to fix this. Yeah, it all comes down to where where did the where the miscommunication happen? Where was the moment of disconnect? Where was the moment of where these two parties were having very different experiences and they weren't on the same page? And how did it happen and how can we navigate where the responsibility lies and the accountability lies? That that's always been my personal um uh, intention whenever people have come to me for uh, some kind of reparation, you know, and it, it takes time. A lot of people want to figure it out right away. It's like, okay, like we got to go back and forth and really get to the the meat and bones of it. And it can be complicated. And having said that, just from my own personal experience, mm-hmm. if you ever decide to be somebody of a support system or of mediation, just recognize that can endure a lot of emotional labor and it's really good to have your own support system. No one should have feel that they can take on these issues individually by themselves. And this is another reason why it feels really important to have a bigger system, a whole team and protocol in place in our communities. Because if one person tries to take on Every incident of violation or abuse or harassment or assault in our community, 
they're going to be, they're going to be worn out. It's so much to carry. It's so much. And, Mm -hmm. and not one person should have to (laughs) have the burden, hold it and endure it. And, and that's probably another reason why so much of this occurs without any kind of repair is because even in attempts where people try to figure out the best way to do it, it's just so overwhelming. And that's why we need to get our whole community on board. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you were here. This, to yeah, this was a lot. <laughs> I told you, lot. welcome, welcome to like a little insight of what my life has been the past two years. But let me ask you. Let me, <laughs> let me let me let me do a uh, you know a check in, a pulse. <laughs> do you feel optimistic about dealing with this problem in the future? Do you feel like things are going to move in the positive direction? I feel optimistic about lots of things. I think we can be optimistic because. <laughs> Okay, but what about this thing? (laughs) Way to dodge the question. Uh, (laughs) What is optimism, really? Um. I I feel like we've tackled a lot of things this evening, and we've said a lot of things that um, can make change. There's only three of us that spoke about it. Sure. Um, But I, I do feel optimistic. I think the more that we talk about things and the more that we put things out there, that the more change will come. I I agree. I think the fact that we have this platform and that we're having this conversation, we're already creating a ripple effect, which is huge. And I'm very optimistic about that. Mm -hmm. And having said that, if you out there, if you're listening and you are somebody who runs an event or, uh, or your own personal venue, um, I don't know. Find ways to, to have more conversations around this. Get uh, curious. I think mm-hmm. if you get curious and start doing the research, there's, there's people already doing this work out there. It's not like it's, it's so foreign or it, it's such a big mountain to climb that mm-hmm. we don't even know where to begin. Right. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. The steps have already been taken. There's right, people right, right. that have already done the work. So, um, yeah. And, and if we all, I don't know, I don't know the best way to go about it, but if we can figure out a way where we can all start talking to one another and start coming up with different ideas and just kind of create some momentum, I definitely feel optimistic about, um, shifting how we've, uh, navigated and how we held these issues in the past and that we can create, um, a stronger, better, more safe, um, not like solely safe. Cause like I said before, there's nobody can ensure a full a hundred percent safe space, yeah. but right. we can definitely do better yeah. and, right. and create, um, more places where people feel that there's, there's place, there's things in place to, to be able to heal and move on and stay in community, keep dancing with another, keep healing, keep engaging with another, Enjoying our space while still tackling what's going on. Well, and I'll say, um, well, one, actually, I mean, I know it's a tough subject, so it's weird to say this, but I really enjoyed this conversation. (laughs) 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 Maybe, maybe it's the wine, but, uh, but, um, but no, I really did in the sense that I felt like one, we, we uncovered a lot 
right? We talked about a lot of different facets of this issue and there are many, many facets and there's even more that we didn't get to. There's so Um, much more. Yeah. But I feel like we also talked about concrete ways to move forward. There are, like you said, there are ways to move forward. Other people have done this. It's not like a mystery. Um, It's just about the courage, um, the curiosity, the compassion to do that. Those were all three C's. So I'm going to run with those. Speaking of three C's. Yes. I did have a Facebook group specifically for dance communities uh, called uh, <laughs> Consent Collaboration Council. I had to put it down and I walked away from it because I was just so overwhelmed and I had my own personal stuff I had to process because of the emotional labor of holding that. After this conversation and, open it up. and, um, and starting, uh, yeah, and activating that, I, I want to, um, bring life back to that Facebook group. Consent Collaboration Council or Consent Council Collaboration? She can't remember, but she's going to share a link with us and we're going to post it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But that's that's where I started the whole process of finding different resources and Mm. posting articles of what different dance communities are doing. And um, I think it's a great way, great place to start to get the information and figure out what's going on in the world and, and how we can do better. Um, and it was a place where I was having um, group Zoom calls and everything. I don't know if I'm going to dive right into that right <laughs> away, but you've definitely um, sparked that light, light and reactivated it. So um, the more people who get on that and contribute to that and the more uh, the more of a community that involves themselves, the the better and the more life and easier it will yeah. be to carry that forward and get uh, on the same page of what are the next steps to do as right. as a whole. And I'll say, right. um, as somebody who does run a dance community, well, one, I'll, I'll share my code of conduct that we have for Mission City Swing. Now that we've had this conversation, I want to revise it. <laughs> nice. Like, I want to talk about more about the protocol of, like, uh, responding to, to different levels of offense. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, I think that's really important because I kind of, it's in my head. Like, that's kind of how I would deal with it, but I want it, I want it institutionalized. Um, so I'll share that. And by the way, my code of conduct is based on other events. Like, there are people in our West Coast swing community doing this. So my code of conduct, um, two of the sources were Boogie by the Bay's code of conduct and Dance Jam Productions code of conduct. Like, these are out there and there are people who are starting to think about how to deal with this issue within our community. So I don't, I don't want people to walk away being like, nobody's doing like, no, I have a link of of so many different dance venues and events that have their own code of conducts. And it's great to look at them and, and compare and see, and see what are the similarities that people are, are speaking to. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of event directors are talking about this. They are responsive. So um, it's not that we're starting from scratch and like our community is terrible. Our community is great. It's just, (laughs) We we do we're have human. instances and we're, we're trying to we're trying to mitigate those and reduce them where it's not so prevalent. Um if people want to reach you, where can they best do that? Right now the best way to reach me is just on my Facebook page. Um and I have a website coming out in the new year, Chantaladavis.com. Um and um yeah, now I have to create a new page just for <laughs> for all the consent you work. Should. Yeah. It, it's it's something I'm super passionate about. And, um, and on a personal level, I just had to go through my own experience of realizing the depths of what it entails. Um, and that, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not something that we can do overnight and it requires 
a, a whole crew of people. And so, um, now that I have gone through my own lessons around that and have figured out better ways to endure my own self care and boundaries and know how to request what I need to, mm-hmm. to keep things alive. Um, I, I feel really, I feel it's really important to create a space on, on that page as well as the Facebook page, um, to keep that alive. Cause I'm so passionate about it. I don't know, it's you know, it, it's funny, like, you know, people think of consent as like we said, policing, but I think consent gives us so much more freedom. I think consent allows us to, to really drop in to more connection and, and it empowers us in the most beautiful ways. Um, and I want to, uh, really be more of an advocate and more of a spokesperson around that. So, you know, you were saying like a uh, culture of consent can often feel like uh, policing. Yeah. And it's so funny because um, it, I don't know why, but I started thinking about how a few years ago I started really working on my following, uh, sorry, my leading with followers. And I studied with a lot of followers and with every follower, I said, what do you want? Like, what do you want from a leader? And you know what the consistent answer was? Hmm. Boundaries. Yes. Or some definition. Oh, I could go on and on about masculine (laughs) and feminine and, and dance. If I, if just two cents. So instead of thinking of as leader and follower, you have the lead position, which is the masculine and masculine is about creating the structure, Mm -hmm. creating home, creating the, (laughs) the, the patterns and the dynamics, really implementing that and Mm -hmm. feminine or follow is about creating about decorating about adding you know the coloring and the shaping and whatnot and so in that way it's not i tell you to do this and i go okay i will do that it's more of let me create the space that you can fill and now you're having a really cool conversation and on top of that knowing do you have your lead and follow but the leader can drop into feminine and the follow can drop into masculine right whole other podcast (laughs) i love to geek out about this stuff <laughs> so yeah so the reason i mention it is because like when we think about a culture of consent it's like actually like followers can create more when they know the boundaries right if you know what shape the house is then you know how to decorate it yes right so and this when we, is true for ben too Continue. yes yeah yeah absolutely um uh so to have a culture of consent is to acknowledge and delineate and be aware of boundaries. And then you'll be able to create more. Totally. So it's to your whole point, like a culture of consent is not about policing and, and, and pointing the finger at people. It's about just being clearer so that we can do more together. It's redirecting in a safe to way. more of the yes. Yes. Right. For sure. Yes. Yeah. I've had, <laughs> I've had a lot of men tell me, they go like, I feel safe with you. And I go like, that's really interesting for a man to tell me that they feel safe with me. I go like, why is that? And they're like, because you are so clear mm-hmm. in your boundaries. You right. are so clear in your yeses and nos that I don't have to be afraid of crossing right. a right. line. They know where it is. I know where you are comfortable for me to really drop in and sink in. And I know where that's the line and I, we don't need to go there. Yeah. And now right. we can just enjoy our connection and our dance. Right. For sure. Absolutely. So yeah, Facebook, Chantala Davis on Facebook and ChantalaDavis.com. Stay tuned Yay. for all of that. <laughs> and you have two people right here who help support I you. I appreciate it. I love yeah. knowing knowing that, yeah, we, there are people out there. And uh, there are people that have reached out to me in the past and I didn't know how to respond or what to do. And 
I just want to thank you for your patience (laughs) (laughs) in me figuring out and I see and hear you and, um, and reach out if, if you want to contribute, if you want to participate, if you want to know more information, I have so much, so many resources. So, um, yeah, after saying that, now I'm like excited. Let's go. Yes. Thanks for being on the show with us, Chantala. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been an honor to be a part of this. This is a great long chat. (laughs) Feel Um, free to, you know, put up your own boundaries, take pauses saying, you know, hey, Naked Truth, I need to take a step away (laughs) for my own self-care. I'm going to pause. I'm going to come back to you at another time when I have the bandwidth and capacity. Part of all of this making this change happen, getting this going, lighting more fires Mm. is keeping the conversation going. So if you're listening and you want to share your thoughts and reactions, if you want to participate in the discussion, um, please leave us a comment on our website. Um, You can also respond to our posts on Facebook. You can email us through our website. You can send us messages through Facebook. And you know what? We have a discussion group. Discussion group. So that is where a lot of discussion is starting to happen there. We invite you to join that discussion group, The Naked Truth. Wow. Um, Teach me your ways. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we will start a thread around this topic, um, or you can start your own. Um, It's it's open to everybody. So we hope to keep the conversation going around this. Um, You can also uh, follow us, of course, on Facebook and uh, Instagram at the Naked Truth WCS and on Twitter where nobody is. So <laughs> the Twitter, which we don't the use. Twitter. The rest of the world's the on it, but Westies are like, yeah, no, it, like, I guess. nobody's there. It's really interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, of course, if you're listening to this episode on our website, know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a number of other podcast hosting wow. platforms. Um, <laughs> we're everywhere. Um, and if we're not everywhere, please let you us know. You can't get away. <laughs> uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook of our podcast. And if you're on iTunes, please go ahead and rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. We will be taking a two-week break during the holidays. We'll be back in January with new episodes. Until then, have a very happy holiday. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the Naked Truth. I remember listening to your podcast and you did that whole speech. Yeah. And the person I was listening to that with were like, he must have that pre-recorded as well as like the intro that you guys do. Like, oh. hi, I'm Eric. I'm Deborah. Deborah wants me to pre-record. And it, I was and like, I, I think, do it fresh every I think time. they pre-record it and they just play it for every podcast. Just so those of you who are listening, I'm sitting here. They do this live every, <laughs> every time. time. It's impressive. You guys I like. I just want him to pre-record the she's ending part. She's like, just do the ending. And I'm like, no, I let's mean, keep it fresh. Keep it real. <laughs> So you can curse on this show. I've well, been... now I have to bleep that. <laughs> no, that's fine. I don't give a This whole part is actually going to be our post show. Because <laughs> yeah. I've been wanting to be like, you know, lean into like nothing but a fuck yes, but I've been holding it back. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. We'll bleep you out. It's we'll fine. We'll bleep you out. I've bleeped <laughs> us out a couple of times.